This intro canceled by order of the mayor of Los Angeles. Not because of the virus, I just don't like them. Especially the one where they fart Swan Lake. Ooh. Oh no! Who'd have ever thought it would happen to me? The mayor! Oh, I get it now. That's kind of funny. It's not. Welcome to Ally uh, Meekly. The... Back off. <laughs> back <laughs> off. Step back. Shake my hand. Everyone step back from your headphones. <laughs> You're too close to Daniel. You're in the city. You're too <laughs> close. What were you going to say? What was your uh, thing this month? Uh, the podcast that'll have you saying, why are you standing this close? To, uh, don't stand this close to me. The podcast that'll have you saying, lyric from a police song. <laughs> Did anyone do that parody yet? I keep thinking of all these parodies that i'm sure you do <laughs> all i sure, do yeah that. i'm sure you were this is how i cope is by writing parodies of my I, bad i'm situation. sure like you're pacing your apartment maybe standing in dark corners at like four in the morning just coming up with parodies of stuff because your machine in your brain is breaking down what did i have oh it was a jailhouse rock but it was walk around the block <laughs> I got the dance moves down. And in I'm the, gyrating. I have other prisoners with me. In the music video that I CGI animated, there's <laughs> dancing face masks in the background also. The rest of it is stop motion, but that dancing, I, I learned I how to do it. I got, I got one screen. of those small business loans for that. I took it away from those poor people who just moved to this country and tried to start a restaurant, but I needed to make CGI masks. Whose clothes are gonna, they going to wash during all this? No one's. But me, I need to make but my art. My art will wash people's clothes by how many tears of laughter <laughs> they will cry watching it. As long as they have soap on their cheeks already. Okay, so... Oh, okay, so... Oh, that, that reminds me. Let's start. Oh, I'm Daniel Zafrin. I'm Greg Gonzalez. That's great. I'm sitting in the bed of oh, my yeah, truck let's explain. right now. Last month, we were in the middle of a park with people exercising and pointing their thumbs at us. Can you believe yeah, this? You believe, it's a social distancing podcast? I yeah, can't stupid. Yeah, it Idiot. Is. Come over here. Let's yeah. interview you. Oh, Sit on my lap. I'll tell you about it. This time we're sitting in my carport. Uh-huh. This is my- the closest that you're allowing the world to see what you do. Don't think I wasn't thinking like, what if Bob uh, walks by? What is he going to think? That 80-year-old man who's never heard of <laughs> who barely remembers what radio is. He's going to hear this and he's going to be hurt. I hope not because I really like it. He's yeah, the one he- person in this building that I like. I'm in the bed of my truck right now. Yeah. You have a nice little setup because you're leaning against the storage unit i'm sitting in a lawn chair leaning against melissa's car if we, i think we're both where we need to be <laughs> what six years of doing a podcast yeah. this is exactly where we ended quarantine up. or not this is the life we deserve <laughs> i'm dressed for summer because it's what the third well, day of yeah, a heat wave like, we would have gone back into the park but yeah. of course it's the hottest day of any time of the it, this is even in the heat of august this would be extreme heat this is uh it's pretty warm it is deep summer heat in mm-hmm. april end of april in April, yeah, you're April. right. In- it's April and I'm hot. I'm real hot. I want to go home now. I don't want to weed. I want to go home. I want to sit in my hot room that magnifies the heat. Well, even worse than the heat is that there's like no breeze at all. Yeah, it's very because sp- it's April and there's not supposed there's to be not breeze. supposed to be a breeze. And it was like cold last week. <laughs> yeah, it was really cold, and it's going to be cold again next week. Oh my god, that's how people get sick. Who's getting sick? Who's getting sick right now? Prove it. Show me the case numbers. Ah, uh, Sixteen thousand. Was that worldwide? Oh no. Before we start the podcast, we haven't. Have yeah, it. we're just lounging right now. This is just the way this podcast. <laughs> we're catching up been. because yeah. I haven't spoken to anyone except for Melissa and FaceTime with my sister and her newborn baby. <laughs> I haven't spoken to anyone else in a month. What was happening when you were born? 
Well, I have a weird <laughs> complex because I wasn't allowed to be around other people I know. for a year. Let's mention the new Patreon people. Oh, yeah. We got five new people this wow. month. Wow. Yeah. We really? have Chris Hickson. Hi. Hi. Craig Young. Hi, Craig. Phil Seiler. What's up, Phil? Amy Torres. Hey, Amy. And Greased Weasel. Hey, Greased Weasel. Are you in a <laughs> gang? Are you a full band? He's not in a gang, but he is a... Um, he has five dudes. He's a uh, ska band. <laughs> I'll listen to you, Greased Weasel, if you're a ska band. I'll give it a try. I love brass instruments. <laughs> He's the guy from New Zealand. Oh, really? Yeah. Much like the coronavirus, we've gone... We've gone worldwide. We've gone worldwide. We've, 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 global. we've finally penetrated the island down south, which is what I call New... <laughs> everyone calls New Zealand. Yeah. Not like those... Hi, everybody. Don't get me started on the Australians. <laughs> New Zealand. Islanders are fine, but those Australians. Hi, all our Aussie fans. Sorry that <laughs> Daniel's like this. He won't Would stop. You, so you're taking sides now. I'm just the, trying to be diplomatic like Sue Storm, you know? The our, invisible girl. Our references for things we've only been doing for this past month are going to start showing. Yours of a Fantastic Four and mine of The Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> we can land in the middle with The Thing, with Ben Grimm. <laughs> yeah. The animated Tony Soprano. <laughs> uh, it's Tony Soprano made out of rock. <laughs> the one thing he was missing. I'm keeping an eye on my battery. I have multiple batteries here, but I'm still worried. He's talking about this his body he's c-3po as Can i power down for a moment <laughs> you don't mind if i uh don't hear what you're gonna say because then it would create a plot hole right <laughs> in my seclusion i've come to the conclusion that yes i am robotic we're, we're all making discoveries about yourself you're robotic i like the fantastic four and that's about it that's the only discoveries <laughs> i'm making so you want to get to our thing of the month of yeah. this past month it's been a pretty crazy month for us it's i mean i've been out i've been seeing people partying every day of my life making friends with animals in the park the spa yeah going to the gym every day hopping no into air conditioners yeah. <laughs> what have you done this month that is noteworthy my thing of the month i'm gonna pick and i don't know if i've already done this but the movies on canopy and hoopla that you oh, can yeah. watch for free with your library card canopy has a great selection i think they have all the Criterion Collection movies? No, they used to, but I think they got rid of most of them. They just have like the Swedish ones now. But everyone thinks in the great Canopy Hoopla War, everyone thinks like, oh, Canopy has the great stuff. I'm watching a lot more things I've wanted to watch on Hoopla really? than Canopy because they have, you know, they're not fussy about it. Yeah. They don't, they, you know, Criterion, yeah, whatever. We have Short Circuit <laughs> on Hoopla. <laughs> we have Haywire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have all the knockoffs of the Criterion. We don't have the Seventh Seal. We have the Seventh Seal, like <laughs> we the have animal. Seven seals. <laughs> seven Rise for Seven Seals. We have that on Hoopla. <laughs> we have the Seventh Seal album. I'm always a little bit surprised when I find a good thing on Hoopla. Don't um, be. Like, I found, I watched Midnight Cowboy on Hoopla. You were uh, super horny for that, huh? What? <laughs> it's x-rated i had to be <laughs> just maybe want to just reopen the country so i can get down to 42nd street <laughs> gotta get in, in Times Square. or whatever <laughs> that's where i watched m honestly i'm finding more movies on hoopla than i will and you get to watch more a month than you can on canopy or like canopy hoopla is where i read a lot of the um they I, also for, have books yeah. and comic books and my thing of the month is i've been reading a lot of comics i've read jonathan hickman's run of fantastic four now i'm on dan slot's run and i've gone back to read the curry years which are so odd but beautiful beautifully drawn but so slow i'm on like issue 10 how are you reading there's that? a website called read comics online where you could just, it's just like full page scans what can you do on that website though how many do you get a month <laughs> um anything that i could read off of hoopla i was reading because they have yeah. a big what's the like how many can you check out a month like 15 or something yeah i think it's 15 so i got all and of, hey if you have other family members with library cards because i'm doing it for work so i have to i'm like you're getting everybody i know's wow. library card sign that baby up for a library card i need 15 more for the month i've got to see part two of intolerance <laughs> again yeah there's a lot of stuff through the library website they're they're really taking care of people's need to entertain themselves for free because we can't all afford five streaming services <laughs> right now and now that uh 
I just got hit by a car. <laughs> now that we have discussed what we do online, I don't know what we're going to talk about for next month because this is going to go on for several. I think my thing for next month is going to be meeting you to record a podcast. It might be like today. I yelled at Greg about getting too close to me. And no, we can't touch I, I, the same thing, even though you washed your hands before. I scolded Greg for offering me a donut. Just trying to be a good. Or like don't nut. Don't nut. Oh, did you just say that? Uh, I'm, I'm talking about Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> the synopsis for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, more of a challenge. <laughs> that was my review. I dare you. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> so we have a listener question mm-hmm. for this month. From, from who? From, from whom? From, from, from whom? From Chris Myers. Hi, Chris. Who is one, another one of our Patreon our people. Our third Chris, maybe? I think it is. I No, yeah. That, yeah, you're right. No, Grease Weasel. How many greases do we have? They're all greasy. But we, how many actually legal names? We know all of our fans look like Dustin Hoffman <laughs> and Midnight Cowboy, but I like that you um, when you were describing it, him in the movie to me, he like he's a ball of grease, but he's not a grease ball. <laughs> Same thing. You've been watching The Sopranos too much, and you know it. Still not. Uh, <laughs> Um, if you say that again, I'm going to have to... I'm trying to think of one of the thousands of metaphors they have for killing somebody. Oh, we take the trash out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid that I'm going to have to force you into witness protection if you say that again. <laughs> Bufangu to everybody. And so his you qu- should make sure that is an awful thing first. Before oh, it is. That. Okay. <laughs> I All mean, right. it's not the most awful thing <laughs> they've said in that show. Or this podcast. <laughs> so from Chris Myers, his question, he wanted to ask, how did LA slash SoCal deal with the 1918 influenza? Mm. Oh, they're good. Right on time. The trash truck is here again. And he's is still this a hit? <laughs> I said I'm going to take the trash out, meaning you're going to kill me. And then suddenly... Do you work for Barone or Sincelli? <laughs> <laughs> I told you this is our route now. Yeah. We're going to beat him with a selfie stick. I swear to God, they never pick up trash on Saturday. And he's driven by twice and not picked up. So he's he's circling looking for us because clearly there's trash that needs to be taken out. And this, it's this podcast. He's going to dump it all on us. And it, this is a little present from Aaron May. <laughs> MFM girls say hello and goodbye. And it's all just a bunch of gloves for <laughs> that people have thrown on the street. Okay, so 1918 influenza in Los Angeles. Yep. This is how they dealt for it, casually and not for very long. Okay. In summation, the first cases in the county limits, LA County, showed up, surprise, surprise, a military vessel. Wow. That's how it came. The first ones were at the Naval Reserve Station at the LA Harbor, but they didn't do anything. And then the first civilian case was September 22nd, 1918, but it wasn't reportable because influenza wasn't re- made a reportable disease until okay. September 27th. Oh, okay. So in the meantime, about 55 civilians came down with it. Many of them were students at Polytechnic High School uh-huh. downtown, and they were diagnosed with alleged influenza. Alleged. <laughs> he's coughing, but it could be anything. Well, I think well, he smokes too much old-timey cigarettes cigarettes i think he's not smoking enough <laughs> but once it became an official thing the naval station instituted a quarantine on the 28th of september and shortly after that the u.s army balloon school in arcadia quarantined but the civilians were still going about their normal lives i don't know what balloon school is army balloon school they would tie this one is an ak-47 <laughs> fill the balloons with mustard gas balloon warfare, warfare. <laughs> the first official confirmed case that was reportable in la was october 1st and within 10 days there were 680 <laughs> cases in los angeles this was when the panic started and people started clearing out pharmacies for anything that would help them and people start making dumb homemade remedies and were they injecting lysol it wasn't that i mean this probably could have killed it they were smoking tobacco with some sort of dried plant on top of it uh-huh. and they said it would kill even a german germ is that a compliment or a put down i can't tell it's both it's a compliment to how good this cure is <laughs> and a put down to those 
the but it's saying the, the German germs are really strong. Going German, <laughs> it is. It's a it's a compliment and a put that to yeah. everybody. Try injecting cigarettes. That should cure you. Nineteen eighteen America sounds like it's almost modern, but it's still kind of like an old village of like if yeah. you put a goat on top of a cigarette, maybe it'll get rid of the germs. Go into the uh, the factory where they make cigarettes and ask the doctor there. There were tips posted around the city like to avoid people who are spitting or coughing. Yeah, breathe only through your nose when you're near other people. They suggested going for walks only at night okay. to avoid people. They said to keep your rooms ventilated and don't have any dust and also keep your bowels open okay i'm 1918 living in los angeles i live with 54 other (laughs) people and we don't have a toilet and yeah we all use one outhouse (laughs) all at night because that's when less people are out (laughs) (laughs) except at the outhouse there's less people because they're all at the outhouse there's gonna be a jazz performance and uh it's a speakeasy in the outhouse one at a time though just climb right in (laughs) Uh, keep your bowels open so you can put more cigarettes (laughs) in there if you had the sickness basically the other side of all that was applied to you don't be the one spitting don't cough on people and of course keep your bowels open (laughs) but other people were still free to go out and about which was just spreading it more and more and it took until october 10th of red tape and hemming and hawing by the city about losing business for things uh, to finally be ordered to close but it wasn't really that strict you couldn't have large gatherings like schools or churches or movie theaters but Uh since it's la they had to explicitly ban filming of crowd scenes for movies and no crowds could gather to watch a movie being filmed but most things were still open and people were just going around for the most part yeah october 11th it was declared a state of emergency so just one day later some people were pushing to make masks mandatory but it wasn't really houses with confirmed cases were marked with plaques for people to stay away i think they did that for the smallpox thing too they were yeah, marking houses X or something yeah i might be thinking of hurricane katrina and dead bodies but it might be both why mess with success <laughs> if a system, system works <laughs> been proven to work throughout time. Uh, religious leaders would publish their sermons in newspapers. Teachers would publish their lessons to students in the newspapers oh with, my God. with suggested assignments like design war posters or re-sew your clothes. Uh, <laughs> in 1918, isn't the war over? I think, no, oh, I'll get to that. I'm, I'm wondering about it. Like, I don't have it written down two inches away. Uh, I'll think about, I'll think on that as I continue back to talking you. without, just uh, freely. <laughs> Let me see what reading. my intern wrote. <laughs> Parents were calling teachers on the telephone for instructions. Wow. This what do I do with him? He, he was looking at me. He's hungry. What do you usually do with my son? Do you hit him? <laughs> How many times a day do you hit him before? <laughs> libraries had teacher-approved reading lists. Of course, the libraries were still open. Rich people left the city to their vacation homes in Big Bear and Arrowhead. Bond salesmen were still going door-to-door oh my to sell bonds. People were so bored at home, they were making so many phone calls that on October 27th, the phone company, which had 300 of their employees out sick, they begged people not to make calls unless it was for an emergency. Call me and say, I dare you to call on the telephone and say it. It's not official until I hear it through the 400-pound rotary box. For the most part, people were taking it kind of seriously, yeah. though. People who went out while they were sick, they were referred to as slackers. But of course, people got... Like the ska band. People were <laughs> the greased weasels. Um, but of course, people got bored of this really quickly. By yeah. mid-November, they started getting lax on the rules and people were visiting friends, walking around in crowds with no mask. November 12th, World War One ended. Okay. So to celebrate, thousands oh. of people... People flooded the streets to celebrate it. Not a good idea. It isn't a good idea, usually. (laughs) The war isn't like there's still sentiment. Yeah. People might still attack. Like in other cities, people did the same thing. We're going to have to delay the end of World War One because we want to protect our population. Keep fighting, boys. Right around the trenches. A few more laps around the trenches. Just swing the butts of guns at each other. I don't know. No bullets. No bullets. Religious groups were suing to be able to have people come to church by this point. People. Sounds familiar. All of this is like, 
is this a transcript of the <laughs> people in Elysian Park were protesting so that they wouldn't build an emergency hospital there. On December 3rd, the ban was lifted. People flooded the streets again to celebrate. And of course, by mid-October, things had gotten so bad again, another quarantine was put into effect. Yeah. There were a few more instances where they were positive the worst was over and they reopened and then everyone got sick and then they had to close down again, again and again yeah. until late January when it was lifted for good. So that lasted about four months of quarantine. Things never got too bad in LA though. There were only 2,713 deaths, which isn't, there was like four people in LA at the time. So that's yeah. uh, not good. That's because they acted relatively swiftly and shut down early. But moral of the story, don't rush back into the open before it's safe and keep your bowels open. <laughs> for the love of God, keep your bowels open. So, listen, if we're going to get through this together, just do honor social distancing. Every day at eight o'clock, just do it out the window. Yeah, do it out the window in honor of our sanitation like workers. Like it's a, any movie I saw about New York in a certain period, probably the 40s. 1968 maybe? Yeah, where they're just dumping track out uh, the window. Are we talking about Times Square? The hustle and bustle. Emphasis on hustle. <laughs> uh, that's what they kept referring to prostitution as in the, the movie Hustle. Are you a hustler? The influenza thing in 1918. It was everything I'm reading. It was pretty much the same thing as now, but yeah. not as strict because there weren't as many people. And it didn't go that like it went relatively well. But like, let's learn our lesson when this is quote unquote over. Don't yeah. run out in the street and like, yeah, I even, feel when like this I'm is lifted. The, I'm not going out for a while. I feel like the best thing to do is probably like baby steps it out and be like slowly feeling it out. And it could be like, I mean, as long as Halloween's not affected, I'll be happy. But like, I feel like it's going to be let's give it a month of like limited going yeah. out stuff. Yeah. We're going to open the mall. I, I think they did this in World War Z, but I don't think the idea of get tested if you've been proven to have already had it and have some sort of immunity you get like a passport or like something they scan yeah and that doesn't sound like a bad idea to me it doesn't it doesn't i mean that's the thing is like if we can all get tested i feel like it would be a much better situation because i need no like, i think be that's able the only way yeah. that this should happen again but hey who are we just people who have good ideas about yeah. things and no power <laughs> no understanding of that's how our secret yeah that's our secret we have no power and don't know anything beneath the surface of what's going on that's what you makes us this that, a million dollars that's what makes us so confident <laughs> yeah, a million dollars for everybody would yeah. solve this problem this solve it right away if i had a million dollars which stay by the way order online couldn't we all just get a million dollars um okay so let's get into the actual episode this month that's the last we're ever talking about coronavirus i was very happy to read anything about not coronavirus yeah. but then it wasn't fantastic for us so it was really hard to read <laughs> any of the research i was hoping there were more italian americans in my story but so who's running the show? I mean, Buffon good to history about this. So uh, they go to a junkyard. Does anyone run that? Do they have to pay tribute? Pasta <laughs> uh-huh. Is there like a mole man underneath the ground? <laughs> Know, like a certain team of explorers who are sometimes super, sometimes superheroes. Not but mole, like for the FBI. A mole man meaning an FBI agent, aka a rat. So we're going to be talking about some of the greatest cons in Los Angeles history. Me, you. That's about it. I mean, we've certainly conned a lot of Australians out of their money, but who hasn't? Yeah, we're, we're going to be throughout history, cons, schemes, uh, ripoffs. It was hard to, like you said conman, I'm like, oh, cool. I think I know that. And then I'm like, no, that's that's a murder. No, that's a thief. No, that's well, a... Well, there's a lot of crossover. There certainly is. Yeah. I mean, are con men not thieves and usually murderers also? Yeah. I mean, like, my story is no one died. Must oh, nice. you got all the fun ones. <laughs> oh, boy. Am- Should have uh, gone to the con man buffet earlier in the month. <laughs> but also, like, look, was... nobody gets murdered. People get... They get whacked. They move to Arizona. <laughs> 
because I thought the same thing of like, oh, con man, it's going to be a guy in a flashy suit and he's going to have a gold tooth. Like a lot of these are just like, oh, this is an oil guy who did this and and that sort of thing. Like some of the cons were so borderline of like, isn't this what just oil companies normally do? Yeah, is it just like regular business now? Yeah. (laughs) You know, you threw some suggestions. I took one of them. I reluctantly almost (laughs) didn't do it. And then I, I, I like had a really bogged down and figure out what a con man was and yeah. then I was able to find one I liked. And then I had to give it a try. Okay, so I'm going to get it started. For our first con, right. my first, th- this one... You know how to read, right? You like didn't forget? I kind of did. I've only been watching The Sopranos, <laughs> which you know reading is not their st- strong suit. <laughs> I could read the butt of a stripper. They do that in the show, right? Yeah, I could read the tattoo on the uh, <laughs> back thigh of a dead body. Does that say Tony Rules? <laughs> Tony Rules, Carmela Drools. <laughs> she knows me so well. My first story is about a con man who conned people so well he convinced them to live in Woodland Hills. <laughs> See, I not I don't just put down Australians. Yeah, I put, put down, down the right? Australia of Los Angeles. <laughs> this is about the attempt and failure of a city called Gerard. Okay. Have you heard about this? No. Stop me if you heard this one. It starts with a man named Victor Gerard Kleinberger, who was born. Born August 22nd, 1880, in the only city that could produce a name like that, Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> Kleinburger is my favorite export. It's so good. Kentucky Fried Kleinburger. Um, Put it in my mouth. I've been missing restaurants so much I would eat a Kleinburger right now. Uh, cannibalism. That's that's my thing of the month next month. <laughs> I ate a dude. Um, he would uh, Midnight Cowboy. He would grow up to become a man people would describe as a devious genius. Okay. But if you asked him, he'd describe himself as a human dynamo. <laughs> Humble human dynamo. <laughs> Which is the one of the fantastic four but as a teen he was just getting started on his first con or if you ask him to describe it a business venture his scam of choice was that he got a bunch of fake persian rugs Uh and he would go around door to door selling them as if they weren't fake his trick though was when somebody would open the door he'd throw the rug in the doorway so that they couldn't slam the door in his face this is already on the ground i mean it's on your floor you own it yeah (laughs) this is the second part of his con he was a small sick looking kid so once the door was open and they couldn't close it he'd start coughing and he'd say something he'd be like i have tuberculosis can you buy one of these rugs and i i don't know why people didn't just like kick him down oh you're that guy who kicks tb kids huh we heard about you oh you're the kid with tb who's going door to door selling rugs (laughs) he only has enough strength to sell rugs door to door he doesn't have enough strength to live or do what you need yeah all i can do is carry a persian rug which weighs about 90 pounds several of them and have enough strength to throw them through (laughs) your door when you open it have enough knack (laughs) needless to say this was a charming kid by 1899 he had made enough money selling rugs that he was able to move to los angeles where there were a lot of new houses being built and those houses needed rugs (laughs) but why sell the rug when you can sell the rug milk for even more money he decided to try his hand in real estate so real grift yeah Yeah, i know i'm not i'm not being funny i'm being honest it's the real grift you suggested like the the boosters and real estate people and yeah but like this guy had a specific thing that makes this a con that we'll get to even though he knew nothing about real estate construction or finance he did know a lot about having confidence so he started up a realty firm called kleinberger and edwards their offices at 111 west 4th street downtown what he did have was an instinct to not go where the money was but where the money was going to be so he specialized in real estate in areas that all the other developers felt were way too far away from downtown to ever be a place people would want to live his first development was in 1907 at the who would ever want to live that far from downtown location of west adams (laughs) around the pretty much walking distance 
levels. Less than that. It was around Jefferson and Six that was his first oh area. And people God. were like, "That you're going to get eaten by a wolf out yeah. there. You're- Look how small the skyline of downtown looks from here. <laughs> people go out to Jefferson. They never come back. <laughs> uh, Are you a changed man now? You've come back from <laughs> Jefferson and Six. My son moved to Jefferson. <laughs> He's dead to us. Everybody warned him this was a mistake. Mm-hmm. He sold all of this land there within five years. It wasn't a problem. His second development, he chose the area along Crenshaw between Venice and Adams, which is like another half mile from where his first one. And yeah. again, people, as he put it, were giving him the ha-ha again. He writes like a old-timey gangster. What he, year was this? The 20s? 1910. Oh. 1920? <laughs> so these ones around uh, Crenshaw, he also sold out easily, but you might be asking, where's the con? Where's yeah. the con in this? He's selling real estate, not a big deal. Has the old rug tosser changed his ways for good? Fat chance, Stonod. <laughs> it's easy not to con people when legitimate business is going well. Yeah. When it's not is when you start having to worry. And when Kleinberger extended himself a little too far, that's when things got bad. To start, Victor Gerard Kleinberger didn't want to have any connections to his German, that strong German heritage yeah. during World War the first one. So in 1918, he lost the Kleinberger and now he was just Victor Gerard. So he got out of quarantine, be- shook everyone. Hello, I am not German. Hello. Yeah. I'm, not- <laughs> I'm very not German. Hi, America. <laughs> rah, rah, right? Hi. Ha-ha. Ha-ha-ha. I um, gave me the rah-rah. I gave America the rah-rah. They gave me the ha-ha. <laughs> now for his next venture, he wanted to get land in a very untapped part of the city. Uh-huh. To his credit, he saw the way the city was going and he, he knew every inch of this land would eventually be developed. He said the great Los Angeles of the future will house fewer people per square mile than any other city in the United States. That will be its success, a home for every happy family. Again, fat chance to nod. He at least saw that there's going to be a lot more houses to build and he predicted everywhere from downtown to the ocean would be populated someday and yeah. so would the entire valley so he got that right he knew that people would want to live places yeah he knew that people had to live <laughs> he had this <laughs> Which understanding that people like to an live an understanding most places. germans don't have <laughs> now i'm putting down germany how many my go-to is just when in doubt put down another country <laughs> which country was notoriously on the bad side of wars mm, i figured it out mm, australia, australia. So this, uh, yeah gallipoli this time he went as far from the city center he could and he bought some land from the Chandlers uh, way out and possibly far away in what is now Woodland Hills. So he bought 2,886 acres near Ventura and Topanga Uh in 19... 022 with his new company. It was the Boulevard Land Company. That area was traveled enough because people would take Ventura to Topanga to get to the beach. But even he knew this was asking a little much of people to want to live there. So he had to put on his finest snake oil suit and grab the old fake Persian rug doorstop because he'd have to dress this place up really nice and pull out all the tricks to get these lots sold. Enter the con man. Obviously... Uh, Ugh, what oh, happened? Oh, you know, it's a symptom of coronavirus. Recording podcast. <laughs> Compulsively recording podcast. <laughs> Obviously, there wasn't much going on in this area at the time. So to dress it up, he decided to literally dress it up and have the theme of the development be Moorish Paradise. Oh. He built a whole Moorish-style town center at Topanga and Ventura, where his new office was on the southeast corner, complete with arches. They had a gateway. They had a mosque tower. Really? So why Moorish? He said he just wanted to give the mission-style a rest. But it was also just a gimmick. Him and everybody else. (laughs) Him and all the people who weren't Spanish. (laughs) Now I'm putting it on Spain. (laughs) The novelty would draw people to come look at it 
Uh-huh. And once they were there, he was confident he would hook them. Yeah. But again, since nobody was living there, this town center was just facades of buildings. Like none of these were actual. Things. Oh, they were. Like, it was like a movie set. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's pretty funny. Someone, you know what's funny is I would still go see it. I, I. That's what he was banking on. Yeah. Don't lean against the bank. They were like a movie studio backlot that he had built just to make people think that this was a happening part of town. Yeah. But even with all these fake, vaguely Middle Eastern looking buildings, it was still a barren part of town. So he took it upon himself to plant a hundred and. 20,000 trees in the area. Oh, what a terrible con, con that was. <laughs> yeah, what an awful con man planting trees in the valley. He's taking advantage of the earth. I'm um, going to exploit the earth to make shade, to make people want to live here. I'm going to make the earth make oxygen, and I'm going to profit <laughs> off of that. He planted sycamores, firs, pepper trees, eucalyptus. The line of pepper trees on Canoga, south of Ventura, are remnants of this planting spree. Really? And they're now a Los planting Angeles <laughs> illegal planting <laughs> spree, this monster. They're a Los Angeles historic cultural landmark eventually in 1925 he also oh this breeze feels really good this is the first breeze i felt in like a week yeah you, i can see it in your face my pupils that, are dilating it's that scene in con air where he fills the air <laughs> and it's going through his greasy nasty, I was, I was, long hair my reference of us ratatouille where the guy eats the food and now my, oh, it, my pupils <laughs> are dilating and i remember when i was a kid and there used to be a breeze eventually in 19 19- my parents let me out of the cage to fill the breeze <laughs> the rat cage which was with all my friendly cooking rats eventually in 1925 he also built the Gerard Pick and Spur Club for horses, which became the Gerard Country Club and is now the Woodland Hills Country Club. And as you might have guessed, the name of this newfound city would be the name of its crazy owner, Gerard. So this was the town of Gerard. It officially opened February 4th, 1923, but the second layer of misdirection here was the actual houses. Oh, God. Is it like in Blazing Saddles? Now I'm just referencing movies I've been watching. It's like Blazing Saddles, where it's just like the, the houses are also facades. Yeah, they're houses. <laughs> Welcome to your new home. <laughs> Don't go too deep. You might want to hang out on the lawn until at least I drive away. <laughs> out of the 2,886 acres of land that Gerard covered, he turned that into 6,828 lots to sell. You do the math on that because I can't, but that's a lot of stuff to cram into that area. Yeah, that, Especially that's... considering the average plot of land in the valley at the time covered at least a couple dozen acres. Some of these plots were 50 feet by 125 feet, and he was charging anywhere from 500 to $10,000 for this. Say the dimensions again? 50 feet by 125 feet. If you want to put a house in jail that's the size of its cell i'm trying to think we're we're like 10 feet apart right now yeah. like pretty much this parking structure that's not that bad actually <laughs> what's what's the big this what's guy the big deal? can you believe this guy he planted trees he sold modestly priced <laughs> and sized houses what a scumbag but there were the con man episode there were deals to be had here you could buy a four bedroom moorish house for 1625 dollars but the best sellers were these cabins they had for 985 dollars the only problem was all of these houses were made out of cheap material oh, okay like some of them were just dirt floors yeah. and but before he could even convince people that the tiny sizes and poor quality again tiny can you believe it can you- it didn't have six bedrooms <laughs> before he could convince them this wasn't an issue he had to get them out there yeah. he had ads for his homes and train stations and hotels all over town to snag any tourists who might be considering making their vacation permanent mm-hmm. which again is a sopranos euphemism <laughs> <laughs> he made a lot of promises none of which were really that correct he said the residents would get cool ocean breezes during the summer woodland hills is the hottest part of the valley yeah, and you don't get ocean breezes no. when there's a mountain no. between you and the ocean. We'll drill a hole in it. <laughs> Ventilation. We'll, we'll poke holes in the mountain. He went up to the mountain.
out and it stuck a toothpick <laughs> in it. There's your air conditioner. He was promoting it constantly as if it was Oceanside property. The ads were saying all you had to do was go up to Pango, which was barely a paved road. Yeah. And at that point was still known for having bandits on it. <laughs> he even swore the distance from downtown wasn't an issue in this changing city. He said it is now possible to travel from the San Fernando Valley to Los Angeles in one hour, which is a ridiculous amount of time both then and today for two different <laughs> reasons. He published the Gerard News, which just printed articles about how great things were in Gerard. His big innovation, though, was that he was the first person to send people on free trips with a free lunch to go see the land they could buy. I remember that was a thing that the boosters would do, or maybe not boosters, but when you, was it in the train episode where we're talking about how you would buy a plot of land, and then you would connect a railroad to it and be yeah. like, come for a day and a balloon ride or yeah. whatever. Yeah, this was, he was the first one to do this, wow. but I think this, this is like the timeshare this is what they do yeah, 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 like yeah, when you want to sure. go come stay in boca okay i will come stay in newport beach why why would i ever for the do protests that? <laughs> he had what he called he called them sucker buses or as they were called to the public bus tours but <laughs> they would take the potential marks from downtown they'd go past the ambassador hotel they'd go to the beverly hills hotel go to santa monica universal city and eventually way out to gerard where they'd get their free lunch as salesmen pushed them hard to buy plots of land they were not legitimate salesmen at all they take whatever money they could get as down payment. Sometimes they would take your watch and oh be like, all right, uh, just give us the rest later and you look it up. They would also sell the same plot of land over and over and over and over, sometimes as many as 50 times. How do you do that? I don't know. These are barely houses and you're in like 40 families are yeah. showing up. Welcome home. Yeah. But all his fake business and sleazy salesmen and free bus rides worked and people actually started buying lots. And for a couple of years, things were going kind of well out yeah. here. But then the shady practices started becoming more apparent and people started showing up seeing that the land they had bought was barely big enough for a house or was already owned by somebody else. And that's when the lawsuits started. Right. But then two things happened that deflated this whole scheme. The first was that in 1927, a brush fire broke out that started burning parts of Girard. People called the fire department for help, but they were told that the town of Girard doesn't exist. There's no contract with that fake city. So <laughs> nobody came to help and most of the city burned down. Wow, fireproof has all. Yeah. The fire department sworn to protect <laughs> if there's a contract. If it's a real city and it can prove that it's a real so, boy. We don't put Pinocchios out. Who would burn just as easily. <laughs> prove you're a real boy. Don't get burned. If you burn, you're Pinocchio. If you don't burn, you're a witch. <laughs> and then we have to put you down. Then you get doused with water, but for like a long time. If you have a contract with the water department. <laughs> so this brought the population way down as a bunch of people were not out of their homes. But another thing Gerard had been doing behind all their backs was that he had been investing a ton of money in making new roads. How dare he? He helped to push for the creation of Mulholland Drive, but within the heart of Gerard, he paid for $300,000 worth of new roads. Horrible. What a bad what guy. A but again, why would a con man want to pay so much out of his own profits to do that? Oh yeah, he's a con man. He took out tax liens on every house in Gerard without anybody knowing and then forced them all to pay that money back to him. And people didn't notice that they were being squeezed like this. And then the depression hit. Oh. And then people became aware they were apparently in debt to Gerard, which nobody could afford. So a bunch of people sued him and even more of them just abandoned their homes in Gerard completely. Wow. This meant no more income for him. And by 1931, his company was bankrupt and only about 75 families still lived in Gerard for some reason. Not much is really known about 
about Gerard the man yeah. after this. Supposedly he went to jail for a little bit for this scam, but we do know that once people forgot his name after a while, he got back into real estate <laughs> and he died September 4th, 1954 in Pacific Palisades. He's buried Forest Lawn Glendale. The essence of Gerard the city limped on though. His tactics were shady, but Gerard did predict the future pretty accurately, but that area was just too far out at the time. He was yeah. a little too ahead of his time for that, but in the 30s, a lot of this land was bought up by Harry Warner of the Warner Brothers, okay. which is why a portion of that area is now known as Warner Center. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that yeah. kind of makes sense. That kind of uh, makes sense. I, I, well, I don't see the connection. I feel stupid now because whenever I thought of Warner Center, I'm like... It's not Warner Brothers. Like you, every time you see Warner, you think it has to it's be the Warner Brothers. It's such a common name. <laughs> sure, the Warner Brothers were a major part of the city, but it can't be. By 1941, the city had expanded enough for people to start moving over there in big numbers, but nobody wanted to be associated with Gerard anymore. Yeah. So to honor his one legacy that wasn't shameful and embarrassing, they officially renamed the town Woodland Hills after all of the trees that he planted. That's nice. Narrowly beating out his other chair's legacy, Free Lunch Expressville. <laughs> the express bus to barbecue town. Paving Rose with money that wasn't his. Yeah. Tax lean city. <laughs> so that's the town of Gerard. Wow. AKA okay. Woodland Hills. That, that's kind of like he conned, but it wasn't like unforgivable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was, that's bad business yeah, he was. practices for sure. <laughs> I consider that a con man. There's always the moments in a con when like you call the fire department and you're like, oh, you're not even alive right the, now. It was the you're big a revelation. Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. You've, You've been, been homeless for 40 years. For 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> I've been conned out of life. <laughs> he took a tax lien on my soul. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start. I usually come up with titles for my segments this is more of a description it's like robin hood except imagine robin hood was upper middle class stealing from the rich and giving to the poor which is what he considered himself to be <laughs> and he only gave it to himself <laughs> i'm gonna be talking about the burglar bunch which is more commonly known as <sighs> the bling ring did they really go by the burglar bunch? that was what they were known as when they were burglar and then once they were all caught and they realized who they were they're like the bling ring and then <laughs> let's give them a reality show the burglar but it sounds like a uh, the name of the cast of characters that are mascots for a restaurant for mcdonald's yeah, yeah like the, the hamburglar and his yeah, friends yeah, the, burglar the burglar bunch, bunch. yeah that must be exactly what i'm thinking of. i saw into your soul and you're so hungry right now but you hate I mcdonald's saw- but you're, you're now you're thinking about mcdonald's a little more i saw into your soul and it's a golden arch <laughs> so the whole story begins with two teenagers nick prugo and Rachel Lee, who would meet in the fall of 2006 at Indian Hills High School in Agora Hills. This is really recent. Indian Hills High is an alternative school for at-risk students, which they both were. You kind of had to be a different kind of student to attend this school. Prugo came from a good family, but around the age 14, he was hit hard with anxiety and depression and was diagnosed with ADHD and put on medication. He spent a year away from Calabasas, which is where his family lived, and he went to Idaho with his family. Uh, but then he came back to people attend. People go to Idaho to cure their ADHD, <laughs> just like people come here for to cure their tuberculosis. There's it's just so much. How about you have absolutely it? nothing? Yeah. <laughs> you can't focus oh, on all distractions yeah. away from you. It's just a void. So now we're putting down Idaho. <laughs> yeah, like they listen. Like Idaho. They have electricity. Something, something. My own private Idaho. Okay, they go to Idaho and they come back about a year later. Come back to Calabasas. My uh, own private he, school in Idaho. <laughs> thank you. Uh, that's what I was looking for. So he came back and he attended Calabasas High School, whose most notable student was Eric Menendez. Uh, huh. We haven't seen the last of him today. Hmm. Odd. Come on out, Look, we bailed out of jail. (laughs) (laughs) We're making an exception to the six feet rule just to give you a handshake, Eric Menendez. What's that? What's that? You've been coughing for a week. What's that? The warden's sick and he wanted to hug you. What's that? You want to kill my parents? (laughs) Well, all right. But they only have four Maseratis. (laughs) They'll pay for your tennis lessons. They they don't have to kill them. They'll just do it. They're nice nice people. Send him to Idaho, too. Everyone gets cured in Idaho. (laughs) There's no one to kill out there. 
You can't kill those who are ass. already dead inside. <laughs> the Idaho Historical Society is going to come after us. <laughs> Let them. So where was I? Uh, Calmas's high was not a good experience for someone dealing with anxiety, though. He was full of, you know, the school had a lot of, like, really wealthy yeah. and hardworking kids yeah, who wanted seems to like succeed. seems like a stressful situation. Well, along with there is, like, an, uh, also a population of the school that was, like, very status-driven. High school is scary, social wise yeah. but when everyone is high class social everyone's driving really nice cars to yeah. school and that's a thing that yeah. matters and also they have the money to comp- to play that game <laughs> and also there are like a lot of people connected to the film industry in different ways yeah. and you probably are going to school with people who are also famous like when you were very self-conscious like Nick Brugo was I'm sure it, it does not help you at all <laughs> so he because of this found himself ditching school a lot and he'd like take any excuse to not go like he had like a pimple he's like I can't go to school they're gonna <laughs> see me I can't go like he was so self-conscious it'll make me look poor <laughs> Only poor people have pimples, you know that. <laughs> You've seen witches in movies? You see how they live? <laughs> so he was, of course, expelled and he was sent to Indian Hills High School. Where's that? Agora Hills. Agora Hills again. Yeah. Uh, that's basically Calabasas. It, it's basically, yeah. <laughs> I think of Agora Hills as the boonies. It is. It, okay, I'm glad. <laughs> it's like the rich boonies, so it's yeah. like, don't go. It, the Beverly Hill boonies. <laughs> so he went to Indian Hills High, like I just said, and then that's where he met someone who would change his life in a huge way. It was someone that he could not only relate to, but someone he almost idolized in Rachel Lee, who he was calling like the it girl. She was upper class she was popular she partied at clubs she had loved high fashion and she loved the lives of the rich and famous which is great because so did nick like he was so into style which is a word he used a lot and fashion and celebrity yeah. life like they were so ingrained in that these people suck yeah they're not this, I, to do research for this i was listening to the audiobook of the book about the bling ring and i kept stopping it because i hated them and then i would have to read about them and I stopped because I hated them and I couldn't relate to anybody. And it's I, called ADHD. I might, I might actually, I really do think I have ADHD and I tell people and they laugh at me, but then I'll read a list of things that people with ADHD have like me, 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 that's me, that's me. But whatever. Uh, no one ever cares about me anyways. <laughs> but whatever, the health system broken. Yeah. I, oh, I can afford medication and therapy all the time. I wrote a text message to you saying I'm only going to do one segment because I cannot sit with these kids anymore <laughs> i hate them there's not a good thing or interesting thing about the story yeah. but then i remembered a story that you're going to be doing later and i'm like oh but they're yeah my they're I, so I have similar. i have very similar people okay. and again these people are similar to the menendez yeah 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 yeah. which is they all hey, they were interesting <laughs> what made them interesting <laughs> was it their Different. turtlenecks <laughs> was it their bunk beds um <laughs> anyways ritually mm. confident stylish was a good con person uh-huh when we talk about con we mean confidence yeah like a con, yeah like the, in the, the traditional sense in the, the traditional sense a good confident person a, yeah a good confident Person, You're a con you. person. <laughs> they both wanted to open their own lines, which is fine. And she had aspirations to go to Fitum, which is the Fashion Institute of Design and They both wanted to make their own fashion lines? Yeah, they wanted to, yeah. Okay. They, they were really into fashion, which All is right. the basic like core of this whole yeah. story well fashion is passion so. fashion is passion thank you they both wanted to go to fitum which is the fashion institute of design and merchandising in downtown we say that as we're dressed like two divorced dads at spring training i, I i'm wearing <laughs> swimming trunks my sailor button up which is vintage my dodger hat i look like charlie sheen and two and a half men and it, it boils my blood i look like a john crier i look like john crier and yeah. two and a half men i'm wearing khakis uh-huh. a, sandals. A, a sandals a shirt that's barely a shirt it's so thin yeah. i've been wearing when i'm just at home i've been wearing all of my shirts that i never normally wear that i'm too like yeah, too i can't wear this one no, too comfortable or just ripped or like yeah this one's kind of weird i don't want people to see i didn't me notice you were wearing your sun record shirt which you've had since college the color is running out of it yeah i've noticed it was that gray too. and now there's it's mostly white it's unless not you wash just, it with bleach well, look we're all getting a little grayer but <laughs> it's not just that the gray is running out of it the actual fabric is disappearing <laughs> i don't know where it's going but like this shirt is losing like a centimeter every time i wash my it. skin around my shirt is getting stronger my shirt's getting less gray but my skin is grayer than ever 
it's I've, more stretchy. You're becoming Mr. Fantastic. I've, 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 I was going to say, I've got, uh, instead of the Iron Man circle, minus the sun record <laughs> implanted on my chest. You're Reed Richards. I'm everyone else. I'm Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, and Ben And Crim. Tony Soprano. And also the Mailman. I forgot the Mailman's name. Uh, we all do. Thank your postal carrier. <laughs> Buy stamps. Buy stamp bonds. So she wants to go to Fitum. The thing about Fitum, the connection, it's not even a connection. A lot of the girls from the Hills, or like a couple of the girls from the reality show, The Hills, went right. to. Okay. My cousin went to Fitum, actually. It's She's cool, from the Hills. It's a good school. I like it. A lot of people. Yeah, it's not tech. just bad. I mean, it's it's the fashion school to go to. It, it really is. Yeah. I went to, I think they had like a Star Wars costuming exhibit. Yeah, once. they did. I think they had like a full X wing in the parking lot or something. It was just a, a jet fighter dressed like an X wing. <laughs> Sexy. Sex wing. Stop right now. <laughs> so, Richley, she okay. wore good clothes and she wore them the way they were meant to be worn. You know what that, like. Not like how we dress. Yeah, exactly. Like some, like anybody can buy nice clothes, but like there's some people who yeah. wear the clothes really well. Yeah. Rachel Lee wore the clothes really well. We button every single button. Absolutely. Every, yeah, every single button that needs to be a button. Every pocket's upturned so I don't get mugged. I swear I have nothing. I match weird colors. I put yeah. shoes with outfits that don't belong. You're wearing sandals. Like we both get it. It's hot. It's hot. It's hot, baby. It's hot, <laughs> it's hot baby. And my wife left me. Man. I wanted every time during the Me Too movement, every time a new celebrity male was exposed as being a scumbag, I wanted that effect. Man. Man. <laughs> All right, go on. Do I have to? Um, we're having a good time. I don't want to ruin it by talking about these people. So she was fashionable and she had a lot of confidence and it mm-hmm. showed and it was like the kind of confidence that exuded and it drove it, she was like a magnet for yeah. people and like Nick she too had been kicked out of Calabasas I think I had read somewhere that she had been arrested for like a petty theft thing with her friend I, I, but I couldn't tell when who has it was Calabasas come on you steal everything everything's for free when you're rich it's a right of it's like prom just don't get caught it's like prom <laughs> just don't get caught and if you do tell them who your parents are <laughs> my dad was a DP for the show for two and a half men yeah. <laughs> oh I love I love Ashton Kutcher <laughs> <laughs> we wish we looked like that era of two and a half men. I know. So these two, Rachel Lee and Nick Prugo, became like best friends and became best friends quick and really hard. They buddied up so fast. Like where you'd see Rachel, you'd find Nick. They would bond over like fashion and celebrities. She was a little more well off than he was, but her home life was, according to her, very tumultuous. Her parents divorced when she was young and she hated her stepdad, which put her and her mom at odds. Nick seemed to have a better relationship with his parents, but his issues and his newfound confidence made him kind of hard to communicate with in the households. Like all the communication in their house broke down. So Nick Nick and Rachel were really there for each other. Uh, they would hang out at her place and watch reality shows. They love watching The Hills, which apparently... Uh, they knew them. Yeah, don't we all? They'd sit around. They'd go on style websites. They'd check out fashion stuff. They were obsessed. But aside from that, they went to parties, which apparently were like every other night. And he became friends with her friends. Through her, he met her longtime friend, Courtney Ames, which was... A, she wasn't like a well-off fashionista, but she was like a tough girl. Everyone described her as tough. Like the bad girl of fashion? Kind of like the bad girl. Like she didn't... She was friends with Rachel because they'd known each other for a long time, but it felt like other than partying, they weren't like connecting the way Nick and Rachel mm-hmm. were. I, I forgot what story I heard about her. Maybe that she had like bullied people or she was kind of like a fighter, but like she was tough. going around as friends as like <laughs> she picked on people smaller than her. She was really tough. She was really tough. Yeah, she's strong. They got to know her boyfriend. Courtney's boyfriend was Johnny Ajar, or as he was known to them, Johnny Dangerous. <laughs> Johnny hope- Ajar is already kind it's of already a cool f- nickname. Yeah. I know. Why would you ruin that? Johnny Ajar, like a door with a Persian rug stuck through it. Try to close it. Why well, close it so bad? <laughs> this kid keeps coughing on me. Please, buy my uh, also in their Please circle. buy my house. <laughs> that was him as an adult. I threw a house in their small apartment. Please buy my house. They, the sucker buses drove straight into a tuberculosis <laughs> ward. You want to get out of this tuberculosis <laughs> ward? Buy a house. Uh-oh, they're getting closer. Tied to ropes. <laughs> Help us. Buy 
real estate. <laughs> Bye. So also in their circle was the student body president of Indian Hills High, Diana Tamayo. Her distinction was that she lived in one of the few apartment buildings in Calabasas. Oh, she's poor. She's a <laughs> she, she had a whole apartment building to herself. <laughs> At another party, he becomes friends with Tess Taylor, who would go on to become a Playboy playmate. And through her, they met Alexis Nyers, the homeschooled prissy girl who had a former playmate as a mother and a former DP of friends for her father. <laughs> they'd all do high school stuff. They'd go drinking. They'd get high. They'd party. That's like, I feel like in the mythical retelling of how Calabasas was created, it was like mother playmate. Oh, yeah. Mated with father DP of friends <laughs> and Calabasas was birthed. She's like the quintessential. Alexis Nyers of all, out of everybody, is the quintessential valley girl. Like the kind they invented yeah. in the 80s. Right. Is Calabasas part of the valley? Because in it essence, it really is. And it by is, geography, yeah. it kind of is too. Yeah. It's a little out there though. Having lived in the valley and knowing you and doing research on the valley. <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, you're a bad person. Yeah, you are you don't deserve to like have opinions about anything. The valley is made up of different demographics, obviously, and it's a big bowl. And Calabasas, along with Pacific Palisades, is like the most coveted places to live probably in the city by yeah. wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And like anybody who's like, who didn't grow up in a, you know, the ghetto. Um, it's like, I'm, ha- I'm fine. Which brings us to your childhood. Exactly. Uh, what I'm saying is people around me don't want to live in Pacific Palisades. Wealthy people, rich people were like, that's, they've made it if they live in Calabasas. Yeah. So like Calabasas is part of the valley, but is also the city on the hill of the valley. It's it, like the handle of the bowl. Of it's the a handle of the bowl. Yeah. How boring that yeah. like how boring and far away it yeah. is to live in calabasas which makes sense all the stuff that's coming out of calabasas exactly, all of the yeah. people that have come out of it i would never i don't like stopping there for gas <laughs> you know what i mean like I, like it's because uh, the gas is twice the price yeah you have to literally i'll be in agora hills <laughs> filling up my tank it's like one pump a guy lives in the gas station well, are we talking about home. midnight cowboy again you're obsessed you're talking about sopranos you're talking more about midnight cowboy <laughs> than you are sopranos. so alexis nyers they meet through tess taylor and she becomes part of their group they don't all i don't think they all go to the same high school but they're all like friends because they all party together they're all dp of friends they're all dp yeah exactly like i was saying they do high school stuff together they party almost every night they drink they get high they're just being what the case file podcast would call them young and carefree (laughs) which she says about any girl who's about to die she was young and (laughs) carefree they go to the beach they were known for hanging out at zuma beach near lifeguard station seven that was my beach growing up was it really yeah whenever we would have like a camp or something like that like we're going to the beach it was always zuma beach always zuma beach yeah. what is it about zuma beach that everyone... i think there's parking oh okay that could be like it. you could park a bus full of kids at zuma beach that's or fair. your family at zuma beach that's fair yeah. i think growing up santa monica right next to the pier was i remember i have like so many memories of being right the next dirtiest to part of the dirtiest of the part the nastiest <laughs> part of it so nick was happy for the first time in years he felt like he belonged he found you know how important it is when you find your people and he found finally his people no maybe not you but me <laughs> that's so essential to fighting feelings of anxiety and pressure not the cure-all but like when you feel lost and then you find people that make you feel like you're you it makes you feel good like Again, you wouldn't know I'm talking to the car. I'm not really talking to you. You wouldn't know. Uh, you you can't connect to anybody. Um, <laughs> the car has a better connection to people than you do. So he would do anything to protect his feeling. And the way he looked at it, he owed all of this to Rachel Lee, his best friend. He'd do anything for her. And in 2008... He was young and carefree. He was, yeah, young and carefree. It's an Australian podcast. Um, he would do Is anything. it really? Yeah. Oh my God, of course young it is. Coffrey. Okay, he'd do anything for Rachel Lee. And in 2008, she was about to ask him to. Let's go back to the summer of 2007. Uh, the summer after 10th grade, Rachel and Nick are talking and she lets it be known that she's previously 
robbed a house while the people were gone and she stole cash. No red flags there. Totally cool. <laughs> then she asked him, do you know anybody who's out of town? As a matter hmm. of fact, he did. Wait, this was the same conversation? Yeah, the same conversation. And he did put it together? Like, hey, I, you know, I, I really like uh, killing people. Uh, do you have do soft you have, skin? Do you, do you know anybody who, like, no one will know is missing for a couple days? Yeah. So she asked him, do you know anyone out, out of town? And he's like, yeah, this guy that I talked to on MySpace was leaving town with his family and he knew where the guy lived. His in name's Woodland. Tom. He knew where the guy lived in Woodland Hills. So they went to this Gerard? guy's house. It was Gerard, yeah. They went to the city of Gerard and they parked on a nearby street and walked up the house with absolute confidence not like turning their heads uh -huh. they just walked up straight up to this house Con they rang the doorbell to make sure no one answered and then they just started trying doors and if a neighbor sees them just play young I'm young and oblivious <laughs> to what's normal I lock keys in there oh no my friend from MySpace lives here he said he'd be here but no one's answering I'm looking for unlocked doors it's a student film they find an unlocked door this was Rachel's method because her belief was that there's always a way in for a person in the mid-teams she was like Richard Ramirez style good at getting into hmm. houses rich Richard Ramirez yeah rich Rich, rich, Ramirez. rich, Richard, rich Ramirez. She knew that affluent people were careless. They moved away from bad areas of the city to be surrounded by beauty and peace. And peace just means carelessness. So it's going to be easy to get into someone's house. So they entered this family's home and right away, Nick is terrified he's freaking out shaking in place trying to convince rachel to leave but these moments in other people's homes is her time to shine this is really her and her element when she's in other people's houses <laughs> they rummage and they're able to find a shoebox with eight thousand dollars in cash and nick shuts up real quick that's because that's such a calabas or a woodland hill or very rich person thing, household yeah. eight thousand dollars in cash <laughs> in a shoebox under a bed so they split it evenly and all of a sudden he has four thousand dollars <laughs> in cash and he justifies this it wasn't murder no one's dead it wasn't that bad along with all this he's but where able did the shoes go you're gonna wear eight thousand dollars on your feet i don't understand he was he let himself off the hook because like i'm doing whatever i need to do to secure my friendship with rachel i'm not going to ruin it i'm not going to rock the boat mm -hmm. and i got four thousand dollars doing it and that's all the justification that he needed <laughs> so they go back the next night and they take the guy's car his infinity for a spin they drive the rodeo drive Rodeo or Rodeo? Rodeo. Because these are two different storylines then. They drove to Rodeo Drive. <laughs> they drove to Rodeo Drive. Rodeo, just like cowboys hmm. that operate at a certain, certain time of day. <laughs> what, what time were they there? At zero dark. <laughs> zero dark cowboy. <laughs> Sounds like a Western. It's not. <laughs> Sounds like a military movie? <laughs> kind of. Aspects of the military. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of men. <laughs> <laughs> men. <laughs> So they steal this guy's car for a night. They go for a jar ride. They go to Rodeo Drive and they spend all the money they stole from the guy's house and then take the car back. After this, they really get into it. Now a nightly task of testing for unlocked doors on parked cars in rich neighborhoods. I believe the Manson family called it creepy crawling. They do that thing that terrifies me when they just, people just walk up to cars along an avenue and they're just trying for unlocked doors and they yeah. find, they'll find credit cards and then they'll just go shopping. If not shopping, Nick was trying to sustain his newfound cocaine habit. So now this is them. They're robbing houses and cars, partying with their inner circle friends, obsessing over high fashion and culture and reality shows and the lives of the rich and famous and all of this their lives their obsessions the way they're, they're making money now all comes to a head in the october of 2008 the obsession over celebrities and social media begins to blend perfectly into celebrity surveillance oh i'm following a celebrity online and i see that they're partying in cabo mm. well if i'm a thief that knowledge comes with the understanding that means that they aren't home. <laughs> well, I don't know how to find these celebrities. Not a big deal because the internet does. There are paid and unpaid websites all over the internet that not only benefit stalkers and paparazzi, they benefit high school thieves. <laughs> and because Rachel is obsessed with celebrities, her envy of their fashion and privilege, she decides she's tired of just wanting the clothes of her idols. She's going to have them. So their first celebrity target is chosen because it's the dumbest person they could think of. Let me try to think. Okay. A celebrity in 2008. Yeah, the biggest celebrity in 2008. I'm going to, I think I know this. I'm going to say it's Kim Kardashian. Not yet. It was the really? person that brought Kim in. Paris Hilton? Paris Hilton. Okay. So they decide they're going to rob the home of Paris Hilton because she's dumb. <laughs> 
So they found because her because we think we know her, and we, she seems dumb. This multimillionaire seems pretty dumb. Right. We've seen her personality on TV. On TV, she must be dumb. On a scripted reality show, she must yeah, be dumb. TV doesn't lie because this is the early ages of reality TV. And I'm a high school. Yeah. That yet. yeah. <laughs> they find her address online, and she lives in the Hollywood Hills. And they knew that she was out of town, and that she was dumb. So she probably left a door unlocked. <laughs> she didn't leave a door unlocked. She probably she, left all her money on the front lawn. She didn't leave a door unlocked, but she did leave a key under a mat. <laughs> like the front mat. Yeah, the front mat. I have a that key under a mat. It says mat. don't look under here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a key that made a sound if it got too close. To it. So they go in, and part of Nick is thinking, wow, I'm in Paris Hilton's house right now. And the other part of him is thinking, wow, I got to get out of Paris Hilton's house <laughs> right now. He is. So there weren't security cameras or anything like that? I think every house had a security camera. I don't think that... We'll get to it. He is once again terrified to be doing this. He is stuck on lookout duties at the top of the stairs, sweating bullets, urging Lee to hurry up. Rachel was rummaging like she was at a store. She took Paris's expensive bras and designer dresses. They found in her purse crumpled up $50 bills, $100 bills, <laughs> and they took them along with just bottles of vodka. Their idea was that Paris Hilton has so much, if she was missing minor things, she wouldn't notice. Oh, she's here right now. Um, <laughs> she lost so much, she now rummages through the dumpster. She's just trying to get by. You always um, wonder what happened to Paris Hilton. You want me to talk to her? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Paris. They were taking stuff that was too small for her to notice, and she didn't notice, or at least didn't report it. This wouldn't be the last time they hit her home. They'd make multiple trips to her place, one time finding five grams of cocaine, snorting it, and then leaving. Around this time, they were started getting people from their friends group involved, which included student body president Diana Tamayo and Courtney Ames, who... Even the student body president is yeah, involved she, in this? Yeah. The girl, Courtney Ames, the tough girl, she started coming along for these jobs too. And she brought a guy named Roy Lopez who worked with her at Sagebrush Cantina in Calabasas. That time in December of 2008, when they went to Paris Hilton's house, they stole $2 million worth of jewelry stuffed into Louis Vuitton bags. Um, Which in its own is worth like another million probably. <laughs> yeah. I read this on the crimemuseum.org website. They burglarized Hilton so many times that Lee reportedly added Hilton's spare key to her own keychain. <laughs> How did she not know this was happening? It, they were taking such small things. I think the one in December, like, the again, jewelry one, that's the one that she no, reported. But there's no like security camera or I anything? Know. I don't think that she had security. Like They, they get caught on other people's security footage and get away with it. But I don't think Hilton had that. Yeah, I guess it was sort of early days. Yeah. People weren't as paranoid then. I don't see it like she's the only person getting hit ever. But like on this string that the bling ring was doing, people later will learn that they were robbing homes of celebrities. But I think Paris was like, oh, they would never do that. They would have those I live. Here. I think yeah, I think it was too early on to really get an idea of what, but people have been robbing houses forever. So they've been robbing her house for months now. And then they would go to school or go hang out at parties and tell everyone I'm wearing Paris Hilton's clothes and didn't no one seemed like they I'm cared. wearing Paris Hilton's bra. Look at it. And nobody seemed to care. No, or like they like they cared, they kinda thought it was like weird and desperate or that they were lying. Like it, it was desperate rich nah. kids stealing clothes from Paris Hilton and wearing them at a party and telling everybody about it was desperate. They probably looked down on them for wearing secondhand clothes. <laughs> the most expensive thrift store. Now, only had to commit a crime to get him. By 2009, the robberies went full scale. Using the same methods, they continue researching celebrities' clothing and whereabouts and would strike them. In no particular order, they robbed the homes of Ardrina Partridge from the hills, stealing about 43000 worth of her stuff and even getting on camera, although they kept their faces just out of sight. No face, no case. Uh, the footage played on the news and Nick was freaking out, but Rachel was a beacon of criminal confidence and didn't sweat it. It got away with that one. They robbed the house of Rachel Bilson, stealing about $30,000 worth of property. They were so calm and collected by this point, they were using the bathroom mid-heist. <laughs> 
careful. I believe the words were bowel movement. They kept the bowels keep open. Keep your bowel. They, they were just trying to stay healthy. Got to beat the virus. Um, <laughs> the virus being poverty. M- upper middle class poverty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? They robbed her house six times and eventually selling items from her house. Yeah, on I was going to say, what are the, yeah, okay, so that's what they're doing with all yeah, this? They're pretty much selling everything that they don't want to keep themselves. Right. And then they had a like they had a fence, which might have been the Roy Lopez guy, but he didn't know what to a do fence. with it. I learned that in the Pranos. I'm glad you're learning. You fence an item. You fence an item. You whack a person. Uh-huh. That dude is made. I can't. He's untouchable. You get rid of a body. Mm-hmm. You, you go eat. to therapy and express <laughs> you, your feelings. You eat lasagna. <laughs> this doesn't have to go in the episode, but my, my dad doesn't know. Like, he doesn't have a hang on pasta. I'm trying to say because like, I bought penne pasta, which is PP pasta. And I'm like, it's like pasta. I'm like, it's like spaghetti, but it's not the strands of hair. It's just like, and he's like, is it like lasagna? I'm like, no, it's like spaghetti, but not spaghetti. It's like a different shape. He's like, I don't get it. I'm like, it's okay. And like, he kept like, so it's like ravioli. I'm like, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? Is it still Italian? And, like every couple minutes, I guess I don't know pasta. You clearly <laughs> don't. don't. You clearly don't understand pasta. Man. <laughs> So in July of that year, Nick, Rachel, Diana, and Alexis robbed the house of Orlando Bloom and Miranda Kerr. Oh, Miranda yeah, Kerr was the real target. Yeah. Alexis was caught on camera here, but it led nowhere. They stole $500,000 worth of items from their home, including a collection of Rolexes. In August, Rachel, Nick, Diana robbed the house of Megan Fox and her husband, former 90210 actor Brian Austin Green, who, by the way, I saw at Staples one time. <laughs> Super dad. I never respected that guy before, but he came in. He had a newborn baby in his arm. He was holding the hand of his son, and then he had, like, I think he bought, like, I remember it being big hoisted it over his shoulder held it with his neck <laughs> to printer. his shoulder and i was like i can get someone to walk your car no i got it and i think he also he was holding the hand of his son in his underarm carrying a stroller because the kid didn't want to go in a stroller. like <laughs> i like did the sign of the cross like, you're <laughs> the, a powerful man the 90210 theme song played as he walked to his car that's another thing that they were talking about in the book the bling ring book is that they're robbing from 90210 was a show about rich kids rachel bilson was in the oc about rich kids yeah, and, and then they're robbing reality stars reality shows about rich kids kids and they're also rich kids they probably would only watch those shows because like what am i gonna watch sanford and son (laughs) megan fox made the mistake of making good fashion choices on tv and became a target it is basically how you became a target by them if they saw something that they wanted and you were wearing at an award show they're like okay when you leave town that's gonna be mine wow this is uh, very Calabasas. It is very Calabasas. It's so lame. They were apparently foiled trying to rob Ashley Tisdale when a cleaning lady answered the door when they tried to ring the doorbell. And then they went for the white whale, mm-hmm. Rachel's icon. Do you want to take a guess? 2009. Is it, is it Kim Kardashian now? No. Kim Kardashian doesn't okay, happen so for years later. The white whale is not Paris Hilton. No. Who's bigger than Paris Hilton? Nicole Richie? <laughs> Clearly not. If you watched the show. Um, I don't know. Charlie Sheen? Lindsay Lohan. Oh, yes, of course. Ah, ah the white the whale. White whale. <laughs> <laughs> they sold $130,000 worth of Lohan's clothes. On this job, though, the big one, security footage would lead somewhere. Okay. Feeling the heat from the released footage, because they released the footage on the news, and it's like pretty clear that you can see faces. <laughs> and it, that like I think people are like, oh, they're really young. Because all the other footage was like back ends, and sometimes you see like, because Alexis looks like she could be any age. Mm-hmm. Like she looks like she could be in high school. She looks like she could be a preteen. She looks like she could be 24, but mm-hmm. look like that's the thing with Alexis but like when they saw all the other crew they're like oh they're all baby faced they're all like little kids so feeling the heat for Lindsay Lohan's high quality surveillance cameras yeah she must have had like a 35 millimeter <laughs> above a door yeah. rolling loud footage. 
yes. All the other houses had like a kineograph <laughs> when you walk in. They had a security guard cranking the camera. <laughs> they had an old animator drawing everything. <laughs> You're moving too fast. <laughs> Feeling the heat from the release footage, Rachel Lee moved to Vegas to be with her dad. She got rid of most of the stolen items, but still wasn't sure. Soon after the footage was released, and one of the many tip callers, because there were a lot of callers, led to Nick Prugo, who outright denied the allegations. But his anxiety and the hmm. beating Tiffany brand heart necklace under the floorboards kept pounding. <laughs> and after a couple of nights of not sleeping or eating, he confessed to the police that he had been robbing the homes of the celebrities. Not just Lohan's house, which is what they called him for. He confessed to all of them. Gucci. 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 <laughs> Gucci. No, no. <laughs> the iPod. The iPod in the man's face. Um, after that, they got search warrants and brought in Diana Tamayo, Courtney Ames, Roy Lopez, and Alexis Nyers. They also arrested Courtney's boyfriend, Johnny Dangerous, who helped with some of the crimes. But they arrested Johnny him. Ajar? Johnny Ajar, yeah. But they arrested him on drug uh, rug possession. Drug possession, possession of a firearm. Rug possession? Are we talking about the Persian rug thing again? We might be talking about Persian rug, yeah. Drug possession, possession of a firearm, and possession of ammunition. Police found much of the stolen items still in the possession of the bling ring crew, but it wasn't a damn enough what was though social media profiles with photos of them wearing all of the stolen clothes that really nailed them there was it, even a photo it, it's so weird that they have like an understanding of social media and the internet enough to know like okay this person's there this is where their house is yeah. so they're not there but then to then be like well i can post whatever i want I'm and no yeah <laughs> i'm not clearly not paris hilton no one looking at my profile yeah. certainly like, not the police <laughs> there was even a photo of rachel lee inside of paris hilton's home which is pretty damning so they arrested rachel lee in Prove vegas it. when they were caught they found a list of upcoming targets miley cyrus zach efron Hillary Duff and Vanessa Hudgens like they were only robbing Miley Cyrus was on the show about getting famous or being a famous star Zac Efron high Vanessa Hudgens musical. were in a high school musical which is yeah. about being famous yeah. and I don't know what Hillary Duff was um, probably another thing <laughs> wasn't she not Thin Lizzy <laughs> she was in Thin Lizzy Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> Lizzie McGuire I don't remember what Lizzie McGuire was about that it's about Thin Lizzy so Nick and Rachel along with Roy Lopez pleaded no contest and served half their meager jail time Courtney Ames had her charges dismissed after the main investigator detective Rhett Goodkin appeared in the film version of the events Sofia Coppola's The Bling Ring and it was seen as a conflict of interest so she did community service and she got three years of probation apparently this goes for most of the Bling Ring they all have light sentences it's because of the detective was in the movie it's a conflict of interest and now they're like well how can you take any of this seriously oh my god so funny right well you can either go to jail or you can sell me the rights <laughs> and what a perfect end to such a hollywood calabasas yeah. celebrity yeah and it makes perfect sense and, yeah diana tamayo who was at one point wearing outfits made up entirely of stolen clothes she pleaded no contest and did community service for her crimes she said that the police threatened her family with immigration consequences during questioning i think she had, they could have showed up to court in Lindsay lohan's jumpsuit imagine zing <laughs> zing ring alexis nyers originally pleaded not guilty saying that she was when she was with the crew caught on camera she was drunk and partying and didn't know that they were robbing a house a week before i her, was just doing illegal drugs what's the <laughs> What's the, I, w I was just full of cocaine driving uh, drunk. What's the big deal? She says, I wasn't guilty. I didn't know what they were doing. I was drunk. A week before her arraignment was famously quoted as saying, gosh, darn it. Okay, here we go. And Alexis and I are just on the news or whatever saying, I'm a firm believer in karma. And I think this situation was attracted into my life because it was supposed to be a huge learning lesson for me to grow and expand as a spiritual human oh, being. Oh. I see myself being like an Angelina Jolie, but even stronger, <laughs> pushing even harder for the universe and for peace and for the health of our planet. God didn't give me these talents and looks to just sit around being a model or being famous. I want to lead a huge charity organization. I want to lead a country for all I know. First of all, Angelina Jolie, daughter of John Foyt. 
second of <laughs> no, all, known uh, pornographer. That's the Calabasas. That's the motto of the city. Yeah, I'm the victim here, exactly. and it's going to make me stronger. I'm the Martin Luther King of these petty Calabasas. crimes. I heard her say it. I heard Emma Watson say part of it <laughs> in the trailer. I didn't watch the movie because I couldn't sit through it. And having to type the words <laughs> made me even dumber than I already was. I'm a pretty dumb guy. She changed her plea to no contest when she found out that Orlando Bloom was willing to testify against her in court. So she did six months jail time, three years probation, and has to pay Legolas $600,000 back. During this Is all... Legolas $600,000? What? Legolas in Got his it. pocket. Got it. Got it. I, I thought this is what you were going for, but I wanted to make sure. No. Hang on. Gimli a minute. Um... <laughs> No. Greg, do you get that? I, Hang on. Do you unfortunately, get that? I get it. <laughs> Have you been rewatching all the Lord of the Rings movies? I would quarantine? never do that. I'll Why would it. I do that? I could watch like nine Sopranos episodes during that time. I've watched all the MCU in different orders to see if there's a different <laughs> meaning I can take from it. Why this time I... I'm going to start with Ant- with Anthony. I was going to try to say Ant-Man. Ant-Man in the movie names his favorite Ant- Anthony. And then the second one. Uh... See, you like that and you don't like the Gimli thing Absolutely I just said? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> this is a status thing. I always knew it. And the second one, he names his favorite Ant. Ulysses S. Grant. And these are popular movies. I mean, I thought so, but I bring them up to people and they don't want to talk about them and they don't enjoy them, including you. I ant. There you go. And you got it. Did you write Ant-Man 2? Ant-Man and the Wasp? Yeah, I wrote Ant-Man 3 Raid. Raid? So during all this, Nyers got her own reality show. Actually, she shared it with her sisters and it was called Pretty Wild. People who like trash TV love it she served her time at century regional detention facility in linwood and was there at the same time as Lindsay lohan hmm. she said this i heard Lindsay crying but i wasn't near her that's so sad that is sad but i thought there would be some sort of like p-e-p-e yard what oh is it my called God. The, yard? <laughs> the yard yeah <laughs> some sort of confrontation in the yard the yard which, which is uh, where you go to crack skulls that i've learned this lingo you have a spork <laughs> that you had a keister what they call you a, shaved shiv. It, a shiv and it's wrapped in you peed on on a rag so when you stab somebody, you stick somebody, they get infected with your urine. Which is how you, what they call, join the Aryan Brotherhood. <laughs> There's no money in jail, but there is certain things you do that serve as... It's as good as gold. What do you call it when you pay fees? When you kick up. When you kick up. Initiation fee. <laughs> After all of this, there was a big write-up in Vanity Fair by Nancy Jo Sales, the suspect wore Louis Batons, which is spelled funny. From the Vanity Fair article came a fictionalized movie for the events from Sofia Coppola in 2013 starring Emma Watson. After the movie... The finest movie since Godfather 3. It's like so perfect. After the movie, Nancy Jo Sales wrote the book about the crime spree, The Bling Ring, how a gang of fame-obsessed teens ripped off Hollywood and shocked the world. Most of the Bling Ring crew are just trying to move past all of that. Rachel Lee is trying to live a quiet life. She's oh, finished. Yeah, that's weird. They're like our age. Or- yeah my age you're more along the lines of victor gerard but these people are like my age pretty much yeah they're just trying to do what you're doing live a quiet life and not be famous at all <laughs> just recording their podcast in a carport in a carport and not telling their parents about it rachel lee finished cosmetology school she's trying to write a screenplay now not unlike you at all not like any of us in 2017 she was at a bar and she ran into emma watson oh, no. and introduced herself to her i think that she introduced herself to emma watson like hi big fan you made a movie about me i'm rachel lee and i think emma watson was like it's so nice to meet you <laughs> but like british british curly hair you've seen <laughs> it's boggy woggle to woogie wog <laughs> you stupid country almost took over the world a bunch of times and not to mention their subjects down in australia <laughs> and idaho many of the others in the whole thing are just trying to keep out a spot like nip prugo consulted on the movie and did some interviews for the most part it's just trying to stay out of his this live out of his infamy all of this fame eating fame eating fame is so incestuous fame and the movie and the fame. book 
are trying to hammer home like what's wrong with these kids today and their need to be rich and famous and oh the kids in their social media but it, it's always been like this like first of all more than young people being obsessed with fame and money the older generation is obsessed with talking about young people and their <laughs> obsession with fame. like it's crazy like i feel like i hear more about that than they're I gonna see start that. robbing us of our clothes and dressing like us <laughs> like i just don't think that that's as true as people are saying like so many older people are like nobody wants to be a doctor there's still doctors and scientists and there's yeah. there's always been people well, who- people were always crazy i'm thinking of the guy who would go around and got autographs of every single celebrity exactly in people have always been crazy and like celebrity obsession look at the oj trial think <laughs> of how many sideline players wrote books and made money off of that like look at kim kardashian former underling to now paris hilton got rich and famous after a sex tape emerged her dad famously on the oj dream team like it's so incestuous and it tanya harding is infinitely more famous than nancy kerrigan <laughs> all about eve is about celebrity obsession it's not a new thing and i'm tired of think th- of the during the quarantine they had to explicitly say you can't all gather around to watch a, a movie, movie being filmed. exactly like it's always like it's not a new thing kids wanting to be famous like how many garage bands started after the beatles i don't, I don't know the, what the, you're the, saying the, is you want to make a new bling ring let's rob other podcasts let's go to let's go to joe rogan's house <laughs> can we we can wear his crossfit brand his jock straps shorts, yeah. yeah the weird thing about this story where all the commenters and the people say how disgusting youth is becoming the weird thing that is weird about this the weird thing that is weird about this well it's pretty weird is that it's reality stars get famous they get robbed by people who idolize them and then those people become famous mm-hmm. like us weekly has an article like the bling ring where are they now like is it just us Weekly? it is us weekly i put us because i'm it's also us weekly um they wrote a whole thing on like bling ring where are they now and we could say ill gross remember the guy who shot jesse james also got famous this is yeah. a very old problem the coward robert ford the coward robert ford <laughs> it's a stupid story filled with stupid people yeah. that are not interesting at all it's a tale as old as time e- exactly and then like the older generation is looking at it like look how bad the kids are like, yeah like shut up i'm sure That's that, my there must have been shut up. Yeah, there must have been somebody who was like i'm gonna sneak into greta garbo's mm-hmm. house I- i'm gonna steal her <laughs> lipstick that i saw her wear yeah i saw her on the newsreel <laughs> and she was wearing lipstick that i want how about we take this back into the past can we please to a simpler time you know like the old people like that they always trying to get back to no matter (laughs) no matter how much people were oppressed yeah no matter Um, how much it refuses to accept evolution (laughs) no matter how much it thinks that emptying your bowels is a cure for influenza (laughs) i put another leaf on a cigarette and try to cure this whole thing (laughs) maybe if i smoke my bowel movements maybe if i smoke pee pee caca poo poo (laughs) is that you you rumbling? Where do you, are you eating more donuts? No, you can't see me. Stop me. You're a fat little Come boy, stop aren't me. you? <laughs> Come stop me. Take man. it out of my mouth. You're the half man. I always thought you were Charlie Sheen. You're half man. You're half man. I see it now. So they called it Julian Pete. It was the scheme that put people on the street. When they sold stock, it went bust, bust, boom, bust, bust, boom, bust, bust, boom. How long does it take you? The best part is I'm sort of a savant at this. <laughs> that just came right out of me. I, I know it sounds like it You're took about a You're certainly an idiot. <laughs> You're one type of savant. I sure. see you writing your whole thing. You research for 40 hours a day or whatever crazy <laughs> stuff you do. You <laughs> write <laughs> frantically. Uh, in a bath Almost obsessively, compulsively. <laughs> and then at the end of it, you're like, CC oh, Julian, CC Julian, CC Julian. And like you're sitting at a piano. No, it's dun, not right. Dun, 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 dun. And there's no. dynamite tied to one of the keys. <laughs> and if I don't get a good parody in time, I blow up. All right. So super fans, unlike myself, might remember that Greg already covered this story in our graveyards episode. Slightly. When you like, I was like, I got the perfect one. It's Julian Pete. And then two days later, you reminded me that you kind of covered it. Yeah. But I'm going to focus more on this guy, CC Julian. Yeah, because I covered his like sidekick. Yeah. Right I want to go a little deeper, the seedy details, but the man behind the Julian Pete scandal 
Courtney Chauncey, call me CC Julian. Please call me CC. <laughs> and don't ask me. what the CC stands for because it's pretty lame. Uh, Courtney Chauncey, meet me on the veranda. Bring your finest frills. <laughs> Tea's ready. Courtney Chauncey, go fetch the queen. <laughs> don't catch influenza on your way over. So he was born in 1885 in Morris, Manitoba, Canada. Oh, Canada. Part of the Commonwealth. <laughs> his parents were both from Ireland. And all that's known about them is that his dad's occupation was listed on the census as gentleman. <laughs> professional well gentleman. i'm a nice guy well, so what do you do for a living i know manners i'm, a, I'm an all-around good guy <laughs> and the government recognizes that deputy gentleman i'm sheriff of all the nice guys around here growing up he was very charismatic but this was canada so the only jobs he could get were things like selling newspapers and stanley cups door to door he was delivering milk and stanley cups he was working in drug and clothing stores and stanley cup stores eventually he moved to regina saskatchewan you're not a gentleman you better not say something about that name <laughs> Speaking of things that are not in Midnight Cowboy. So that he moved there and he made a ton of money and then moved to Edmonton and lost a ton of money in something yep. Stanley Cup related. In 1906, he moved to Vancouver where he heard about something called Texas Tea that was gushing up in the Texas of California, Bakersfield. So he fulfilled every Canadian's dream and moved to Bakersfield <laughs> to do backbreaking hard labor on an oil field making $1.50 a day. But by 1909, he fulfilled every Bakersfield resident's dream of moving back to Vancouver to become... <laughs> a plumber and marry a woman oh god oh, everybody to, that's bakersfield dream to be a, a young woman. to be a plumber and marry a woman <laughs> he dabbled a little bit selling jewelry and got into real estate again where he once again made a bunch of money and then once again went bankrupt so now it's 1918 and he, a good he, habit of that. Yeah. it's now 1918 influenza is going he's yeah. he realizes he left his heart in kern county <laughs> so he moves back to bakersfield to work in the oil field again until he decides to prove his allegiance to america and enlist to fight in world war the first one and when he got back, he decided to chase more oil jobs that sent him from Fullerton to Texas. And in 1921, finally to Los Angeles with a wife, two kids, and once again, no money at all. <laughs> but this was the time when oil was oozing out of Southern California. So yeah. he, he decided, I'm going to lease some land in Huntington Beach. There's some okay. great protests going on there <laughs> to start drilling. And he found absolutely nothing. But then he decided maybe actually drilling oil isn't the only way to make money in oil. If I could make t-shirts that say oil on them. <laughs> if he could package a dry well just right and if his hunch was correct that everyone in LA is an idiot he could still clean up in this industry right. so what he did was he leased some more land this time in Santa Fe Springs and he set up about 12 wells they eventually started producing a little bit but that wasn't really the point anymore to call me CC what he would do would he'd use his natural charisma and the power of advertising to get people to invest in his wells and that would create the illusion what the hell is going on? I'm just trying to get comfortable because this is I, uh, as you're talking, I'm like, this is going to be a long... And as I'm soon as you talk about oil, I'm like, oh boy, it's going to be a lo the long con. The long con is you having to listen to this. <laughs> so he would get people to invest and that would create the illusion of success. Right. And that would lead to more money, which is the basic premise of a Ponzi scheme. So the name of his new company for this would be the Julian Petroleum Corporation or Julian Pete for short, which he started in June 1923. It's the king. It's the boom. <laughs> 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 Now he had to get the word out. So he took up permanent ad spaces in the Daily News mm -hmm. and was in most other papers as well, where he made bold proclamations of how great his wells were doing and how great they always will be doing. <laughs> he claimed he had the deepest oil well in Southern California. Oh and I he got core. Earth core coming yeah. back up. This one, I'm drilling oil from China. <laughs> from China. China. <laughs> 
and he swore that Julian Pete would one day take over Standard Oil as like the oil company. He even had some device rigged up to one of his wells. It would shoot fake oil out of it to show potential investors. Like, look at how much oil's coming. It was just like black liquid oh was God, shooting out of like this Hershey's thing. Chocolate. Pretty much. And it tastes good too. <laughs> he pitched himself as the oil man of the people. He wasn't one of these Rockefeller, Doheny, fat cats. He was just an oil man who was trying to help the people. Just like Trump. Yeah. I'm not one of these Republican yeah. politicians. Right. I'm a fat cat for the people. <laughs> Don't mind my gold-plated uh, outhouse because that's all they had back then. He'd use a lot of slang and folksiness in his ads to show just how connected he was to the common man. He'd say things like, thanks, folks. Oh my God. You're a wonderful bunch of sports. And he used the word ballyhoo a lot. I like that. Like a lot of quotes, he always using ballyhoo. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good cover for uh, lying to, to people. Yeah. It's just throwing yeah, ballyhoo. That's a bunch of ballyhoo. Which, a ballyhoo, which uh, is a uh, soprano for Sunday dinner. Um, <laughs> get the gravy. He set up lavish offices in the Pershing Square building at 448 South Hill to make a visual impression on people. And he told people that if they ever betrayed him, they should walk right in there and shoot him dead. He said, let the buzzards pick my bones and the wind whistle star spangled banner through my ribs. What a con. I'm so American. Even my corpse <laughs> pledges allegiance. Even my corpse is buying bail bonds, war bonds. When I die, you'll see that I have a American Eagle living in my rib cage. My it'll blood. burst out. I have red, white, and blue blood cells. <laughs> he wanted to show people he was serious and his business was legitimate. One ad said, widows and orphans, this is no investment for you. My appeal is addressed to people who can legitimately afford to take a chance. He has the same principles of a sinking ship. No, wait, maybe not. Widows and or- no, the opposite principles. Yeah, widows right. and orphans last. Yeah, you're right. Let all the rich guys out that's, first. Yeah, that's Leave fair. their wives so that they can have an affair with their gamar. And his hunch was right. People in LA are idiots. He got over 175,000 investors within days. Wow. And 56 days in, he had sold five million dollars in julian pete stock on a well that was not producing money. that's stupid that's stupid on everyone that's smart of julian con man it, it wasn't not producing oil there was some oil he was even able to open up several offices and 35 service stations but his wells weren't doing as good as well as yeah as good or well as he was claiming they weren't doing as oil as the other ones <laughs> they weren't doing as homonym as they were doing. <laughs> but that didn't matter to cc because now he had a ton of money and he was hell-bent on spending it the only way he knew how lavishly <laughs> he called on uh paris hilton they went out. <laughs> he called on conrad hilton yeah i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> he seems to have had six houses including one that had here we go a heart-shaped pool and a bathtub lined with 14 karat gold again a tale as old as time <laughs> he would walk around wearing spats you really? know spats so describe it because S- my guy wears spats too and i didn't spats, i wrote it and i didn't know they're like bibs for your shoes you have your shoes on and then you have like a white curtain almost okay, that you curtain. clip over the shoe yeah it's the sign of a well-to-do man i see or a made man he'd constantly be at clubs and restaurants with women that weren't his wife uh-huh. one time he left a taxi driver a $1,500 tip and he bought a hostess at a restaurant a cadillac to try to seduce her but as it turned out not all was oil, oil. homonym <laughs> puffing up about how well your oil field is doing is one kind of con selling stock in your oil field when you aren't authorized to sell stock 
is another and julian pete wasn't authorized to be selling any stock cc he never got a license to be doing that and in 1924 he started coming under suspicion and that led to investigation and that led to being arrested for fraud that'll he, happen when you are lying when you're a criminal when he got out buying cadillacs for hostesses so they can sleep with you <laughs> he got out on bail and the company was still intact but it turned out he also owed seven hundred ninety two thousand dollars in unpaid taxes yep so now his reputation was ruined newspapers refused to run his ad so he to defend his image he printed his own magazine called truth <laughs> telling people i'm not that bad don't listen to what the news the the fake news media <laughs> the made-up news as they called it back then <laughs> as my friend was donald trump's dad's name Gosh. butt face butt face president dad <laughs> i don't know he also bought the kmtr radio station to broadcast to people You're just how shitty. innocent he was which is definitely a move a non-innocent person makes yeah, yeah, yeah. but a lot of times he went on the radio to speak protesters would cut into his frequency and start yelling over him whenever he would try to pretty talk pretty good move yeah. people weren't happy with him because he already lost a lot of people a lot of money one night at cafe petrushka he got punched to the ground by one angry customer of his charlie chaplin you're kidding what an idiot charlie chaplin is yeah charlie yeah he's the idiot i don't know who went up to who exactly Uh but from what i understand charlie chaplin was sitting down cc julian was standing up and cc he got mad at him and he punched cc julian while sitting down and then stood up and punched him again and knocked him to the ground good bit charlie yeah good bit (laughs) and then he slipped on his uh, (laughs) blood one night he got a phone call from a stranger telling him that this was his last night on earth (laughs) and the next night his house got shot up while he was at home with jules roth his vp and the guy who would go on to con hollywood forever yeah so that's where it certainly would cc had to get his company back on track but the only way the government would allow him to sell stock again for the company would be if cc resigned in late 1924 he sold the company to sc lewis author of the wardrobe the witch and the lion for 500 (laughs) different order five hundred thousand dollars who was an oil man from Texas who merged Julian Pete with his own company. The way C.S. Lewis was? S.C. Lewis, yeah. Oh. Not the author C.S. Lewis. Oh, okay. This is the guy whose name is S.C. Lewis. Got it. Hence the joke. That, I get the joke. But You're leaning over the bed of your car like we're in, in home improvement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable now. Everything's so metal. That is so metal. So metal. They announced the merger of these two companies at a special conference at the Hollywood Bowl in really? January 1925. Why? Gather everyone, these two companies are going to merge. Pretty much. When you're oil, you can do anything. I guess you're right. And by April, CC was no longer part of the company. We'll get back to CC, but first, just a real yeah. quick, you know, like four pages about how uh, <laughs> Pete ended. So we have to cover what SC did with the company, with okay. the oil company. He had a huge task ahead of him of trying to save the tarnished name of Julian Pete. So he tried for a reboot. He got new offices in the Pacific Southwest building. He introduced lightning gas, which he claimed made cars go faster on less gas okay it didn't the problem was now with more coal (laughs) the problem was sc was an even better con artist than cc was whoa yeah so he saw what cc did and he knew he could take it to a level higher than cc could even have imagined sc was already being indicted in texas for stock manipulation but how would news of that ever reach los angeles sc was going to take that ponzi scheme and make it live inside of a pyramid scheme pharaoh ponzi is being buried inside his pyramid so like dirty rotten scoundrel move to like the only person to beat a con man is a better con man <laughs> the only one who can fix this company is two con men <laughs> the first con that he was going to do was that they would have a small group of wealthy investors that were in on the con buy a bunch of stock to make it seem like the company was doing really well to artificially raise the price of the stock this group was called the million dollar pool and it was organized by motley h flint who you talked about a little bit who was a very influential la guy through land and railroad at one point he was the la postmaster and started the bank that eventually became first 
First National Bank. Wow. He referred to himself as a Santa Claus to Los Angeles. His younger brother was a U.S. Senator, Frank Putnam Flint, who is the man that Flint Ridge is named after, oh, but wow. I guess also Motley by default because they're both Flint. Yeah. Motley was also very influential in Hollywood. He had helped start Warner Brothers, no relation to, to Warner, uh, Warner Center. Center. Yeah. <laughs> or so Jack he, Warner or so, Harry Warner. So he had a lot of connections which let him bring into the million dollar pool people like Louis B. Meyer and Cecil B. DeMille and other okay. people with B as their middle initial. <laughs> Sony so, be good. So all these rich people bought a ton of stock so now the stock prices went up and the regular people would then start buying stock and that money was kicked back to the million dollar boys who were getting 100% returns on their investment per month because they were just taking money that the smaller people were putting in. Yeah. But here was the second con they were running. They were authorized to sell 159,000 shares of Julian Pete stock. They sold Sold somewhere between four to five million shares of it. But of course, this couldn't last. Yeah. In, in May 1927, the authorities started investigating the company, and that's when all the big boys cashed out. And within the week, the LA Stock Exchange revoked their stock permit. So they stock, they cashed out right before this yeah. crash. Oh, boy. So the rich people cashed out rich, but now the con was over, and some 50,000 people had just lost over $150 million. <sighs> people were furious with Julian Pete for the second time. <laughs> Bob Schuler, yeah. raging Bob Schuler, was raging against them on his radio show show every single day but people's lives were ruined life yeah. savings were gone a lot of people killed themselves several of them on the suicide bridge one lady shot her daughter and then went in the garage and gassed herself to death the people in charge had to answer for this but the legal part of the story is almost more dramatic than the actual con was you touched on part of this 41 people were charged in this crime cc julian was not one of them because he yeah. they couldn't connect into any part of this because the case was such a disaster yeah. first off they couldn't really find a jury that fully understood the workings of the con on top of that, the DA of the case, Asa Keys, turned out to have been bribed by the yeah. defendants in the form of money, two cars, golf clubs, a watch, and a chaise lounge. On top of that, he was also helped to be elected DA by C.C. Julian in the first mm -hmm. place. So he ended up going to trial himself after this and got 18 months in San Quentin. Then it turned out some of the jurors had been bribed as well. Then to top it all off, Montley Flint was on trial for a different crime between his old bank and David O. Selznick. This is straight out of Daredevil. You've been reading way too many Fantastic for <laughs> it's more like the sopranos yeah i want to say it's more like the trial of Reed richards but on top of that this is what you talked about during that trial the motley flint trial a real estate agent from inglewood named frank d keaton who had lost all of his money in julian pete and it's slowly been going insane over this and it tried to kill his own family multiple times he got up during the trial he yelled this fellow ruined me shot him three times in the neck flint and threw the gun on him wow. which is what you do when you whack somebody <laughs> and you just walk the out evidence. of there as if yeah. nobody's going to recognize you which makes no sense to me. In no. Keaton's pocket was a pamphlet written by Bob Schuler called Julian Thieves. He surrendered himself immediately, but now Flint was dead. Yeah. So since every single rule was broken during this court case, not one of the 41 people accused was ever convicted and one of them got murdered. <laughs> so they all got off. This was the longest court case in US history and it made one senator say it was emphatic evidence that you cannot convict a million dollars in the United States. If you're rich, we've seen this time and time again, you're not going anywhere. This was almost as big a scandal as the, in the 20s as the Teapot Dome scandal, and some see it as the reason they formed the Securities and Exchange Commission. This led to the collapse of the First National Bank, most of which were taken over by Bank of America yeah. and let them rise to power. And some people speculate that the events that transpired led to John Porter, the KKK mayor, being elected, C.C. Yeah. C. Young losing the election for governor, and to Charlie Crawford's murder. Wow. This all, like, the They're repercussions. All this yeah. Thing, yeah. The way the company collapsed also foreshadowed the way the entire New York Stock Exchange would collapse in 1929. Two of the higher-ups in the scam got 
got seven years in prison for a different con later, but everybody else was fine. CeCe Julian himself, meanwhile, after getting away mostly clean from all this, he tried his hand in lead mining in Leadfield, California, (laughs) which is near Death Valley. He started telling people around that there was going to be a worldwide lead shortage. So they should invest in his mine now, but the government caught wind of this and he got dragged through the mud by them in the LA Times. So he fled to Oklahoma City, where he tried again to start an oil company and was set to defraud people of $3.5 million before he was caught, but he got out on $25,000 in bail Mm -hmm. in 1933 and he fled immediately to Seattle where he got on a boat to Shanghai and pretended to have an Irish accent on board (laughs) so that the cops wouldn't find them. So now he's in China and he's going by the name Theodore Roosevelt King (laughs) and immediately started trying to hatch schemes to con Chinese people now. He tried selling people cures for asthma and tuberculosis that he said he got from an old miner in the United States. He even got a doctor to do trials of his cure, but when he saw the dying tuberculosis patients that they gave permission to be tested on, he said, nothing on earth can save that man. (laughs) Why don't you give my stuff a fair chance with someone who might live? Wow. But then he gave in and he told the doctor, go ahead then, Sawbones. But this subject is practically dead now. (laughs) The guy took the drugs and died a week later. He also tried starting a coffin business, but got into a royal battle with his partner before the business even opened. He's certainly moving in a direction of like working with sick people. Okay, now I'm working in coffins. Maybe I can work in a graveyard. (laughs) Maybe I can work in heaven. So that failed. Everything was failing and he was just going around drinking and getting into fights in bars and borrowing money and never paying it back, scamming people out of more money. He had a really bad reputation really quickly in Shanghai and people started to get wise and they soon figured out who he really was. But when US authorities tried to extradite him, they couldn't because he had a Canadian passport and China wouldn't allow it. He said, you can tell the US to go to hell. They can't touch me. Hell yeah. Get him. He was just hopping from hotel to hotel. He was being kicked out for not paying the bill and drinking all the money that he did have. He also got really violent. One time he got lured to some place and was told he had to pay them money to get out. But he talked his way into convincing the guy to go into business with him and to come back to his hotel room and he could get the money there. They went to the hotel room. Then CC beat the man and threw him out of the hotel. Oh my God. Another time he was driving through the countryside with some friends and the car got surrounded by robbers and CC punched the driver in the face and took the wheel and plowed through all of the robbers. <laughs> he was also writing a memoir called What Price Fugitive and was planning to buy a South African passport to move there to make some money where certainly there's no bad things going on in South yeah. Africa. He believed a man wasn't beaten until he thought he was, but eventually he thought he was. <laughs> One night he invited a friend to his hotel where he, of course, conned the room service kid to give him a free drink, telling yeah. him I'll pay you double for it tomorrow when I have the money. And then he told his friend, I've had it all. I've had big successes several times over. I fought every inch of the way and enjoyed every bit of it. There's nothing I've wanted that I have not had so that anything I enjoy now will only be repetition of old experiences. I must die sometime. Life cannot bring me anything new. It sounds like his past was catching up to him and he was taking a lot of sleeping potions to get to bed. But one night in 1934, he took too many of them and he never woke up. He was $25,000 in debt when he died. Nine people who attended his funeral, they had to take up chairs to raise the $46 to bury him. Even in death, he was making other people pay for his expenses. That's Julian Pete. What a scumbag. CC Julian of the Julian Pete scandal. That's big. That's like a big story. That was a huge deal in the 20s. They keep comparing it to Teapot Dome and I know I know that name and I kept saying to Melissa, like, it's as big as Teapot Dome and she's like, what is Teapot Dome? And I was like, I think it's a rock or something. I don't know. (laughs) It might be a cafe. I'm not quite sure. The next one I had never heard about and I thought, because it was so hard to figure out what a con man really was, I thought everyone is a thief for this. Then I found the number one. I call this segment the Royal Pain. Okay. Prince Michael 
Alexandrikov, Dmitry Oblonsky Romanov, or as the Hollywood crowd knew him, Prince Michael Romanov. Okay, I have no, I've never heard of this. You're going to enjoy this. All right, this is going to be good. Prince Michael Romanov came into Hollywood scene in 1927, and he did what any new person in Hollywood does, hype themselves up like they're starting a cult, mm-hmm. because maybe if this goes well, I can start a cult. <laughs> he looked at this beautiful late 20s glitzy town and thought to himself, what a mark. Sucker. Sucker. He was quite the sight in 1927. He was mustachioed. He had an Oxford accent. He had 1927, spats. 1927, this 1927, is? Yeah. Oh, he had spats. He had spats. That must, he must be a made man. He had a Malacca walking stick. Malacca walking stick. He had a Malacca walking stick, is which that? is like a really fancy, made of like nice wood. Okay. He smoked cigarettes monogram with the Imperial Russian R. The, the guy was... Another movie I watched recently. You're describing Dolomite. <laughs> oh, that's him. You've heard of him before. The guy was classy and well-traveled, and he could spin a yarn. After all, he was Russian royalty, a branch of the renowned Romanov dynasty that ruled from Russia for centuries until the revolution, the which was, like, was 10 now. years earlier. What? The ones that are all dead now. Yeah, they're all dead Except now. Except for Anastasia. Except for um, Natasha Romanov. That's Black Widow. I've been watching a lot of MCU. Like I said, he was part of the Romanov family. They Who do you ruled... think would win in a fight, Ant-Man or Tony Soprano? Ant-Man. He gets small, and then he gets really big. Yeah, but Tony Soprano just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> Tony Soprano with gamma rays. You better watch out because he'll throw gamma rays right back. <laughs> okay, wildlife, this guy. He was the cousin of Sar Nicholas and the morganatic son of Sar Nicholas III. What did you just say? Morganonic. What does that mean? That means that royalty married a commoner. Oh, okay. Wow. That, that's a word? Yeah, when did, morganatic. When was this word invented? Morganatic. He was also the son of one of the men who killed Rasputin. Wait a minute. How could he be? I thought it was... Was it Was it royalty? No. Who was? Who killed Rasputin? Just to hang okay. out. <laughs> I want the conclusion right now. I'm so He curious. attended school at Eton College and Winchester College and Harrow College, as well as Oxford and Harvard, but also the Royal Military. He did a lot of college. Then he moved on to fighting for the British Foreign Legion, which included driving a taxi to the French Army during the defense of Paris. Then he fought on the Western Front as a British lieutenant, and then... Why was he fighting? Fighting in the British Army if he's a Romanov? British Le- guess, Foreign Legion during World War One. Yeah, I guess there was no royalty at that point in Russia. And as Cossack, <laughs> so he was a British lieutenant on the Western Front and a Cossack colonel okay, that makes on the sense. Eastern Front. He won a Legion d'honneur for his mm-hmm. bravery in combat and in his time defended the Winter Palace in Russia against a Bolshevik invasion and served six years in a solitary confinement for killing a German nobleman during a duel. This guy <laughs> lived a life. So when you are this guy and you love telling people your story and you're a well-to-do man about town, you put that energy out there, people notice. At this point, he gets the attention of a Hollywood mogul. That mogul is studio exec Daryl Zanuck. So Zanuck is in New York. He's hanging out with Malcolm St. Clair, the director. I think they meet Romanoff there. Or they met him a little earlier, but they, by this point, they're all hanging out with each other. So Zanuck gets a call in New York from Jack Warner in this 1927. There, it's about the movie called The Desired Woman, which he was producing. Mm-hmm. So Zanuck has heard Romanoff say that he knows a sedan like the back of his hand. So Zanuck thinks this guy could be useful. So Zanuck suggested to Warner that since the film was about the British Foreign Legions, they could just bring Prince Romanoff as a technical advisor since the guy was in the British Foreign legion and they would pay him like 75 dollars a week for do it warner agreed but warner thought this guy wasn't in the bfl warner used this term to describe romanoff as a phonus balonis <laughs> and he thought i'm gonna catch this guy he wasn't the british foreign Wait, legion. Who? jack warner okay it's like the guy who bought the ranch yeah exactly he's thinking this guy they're sending me to be a technical advisor he didn't something's fishy jack warner goes to a used bookstore on holly boulevard and buys a rare copy of the official training manual for the british foreign legion in it were 40 key questions that were required for a bfl serviceman and warner was going to trap him this phony red-handed so he calls romanoff over 
debonair man about town and he grills him and prince romanoff what do you do when you have to tie a knot and you don't have any rope pee pee somewhere you don't belong borscht and blinis borscht and blinis <laughs> he's on the ground he's circling like he's one of the three stooges and he's saying beans a lot so he grills romanoff based on this book on the 40 questions romanoff does not flinch answers every question huh. with confidence as warner puts it he must have read the same book at that point he <laughs> so couldn't... i see you like larry edmonds <laughs> so at this point he couldn't drum up a good reason to not hire romanoff so he's like okay well you're gonna work on this movie so it's 1927 zanuck puts romanoff in charge of technical advisor for the movie desired woman which was directed by michael curtis who curtis, directed Castle casablanca Blanca. and mildred pierce what curtis I was, I was just uh, one step ahead of you that's all oh okay no big deal it's just like you're always trying to usurp me usurp you yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's it uh, did i tell you i was in the british foreign legion <laughs> it's supposed to take place this movie was supposed to take place in the sahara desert they are not going to haul butts out to the sahara desert so they're going to go to yuma arizona and film it it gets so hot and set that curtis and romanoff can't stand it so they remove most of their clothes to cool off and then they were arrested by local police for indecency warner had to pull strings to get them released i'm not quite sure what his input in the production was but according to the curtis biography romanoff spent most of his time chasing skirts and living lavishly <laughs> until he crossed his path with a former russian imperial guard Theodore Lodajensky, who would hmm. later be called Theodore Lodi, because Hollywood people are not going to try to pronounce a German name, mm-hmm. especially in the late 20s, early 30s. Like You can get arrested for saying that. Wait, I thought he was a Russian palace. Oh, yeah, German name. I put German name. I meant Russian name. So let's talk about Theodore. Wait, so was he Russian or German? He was Russian. I put German. Okay. You might be a redneck. <laughs> no, it's all the same. It's all the same country. If so let's talk Germany's about Russia. Let's talk about Theodore Lodi for a second. Mm-hmm. You might be Hitler. Go on. Got a funny mustache? <laughs> you might be Hitler. Theodore Lodi was born in 1876 and before the 1917 Russian Revolution was a general in the Russian army after the revolution when the Romanov monarchy was overthrown he was captured and faced a firing squad each morning he saw a group of his fellow soldiers who defended the monarchy led away to be shot one day a saw was smuggled into the prison inside a loaf of bread and after some bribes were made to the guards he was able to escape which is what bread was mostly made out of mostly made out of saws and files (laughs) sawdust and saws someone got confused a baker got confused he didn't know what his job was don't hire a handy man to be the baker you might be a russian cossack (laughs) okay so he escapes from this he hid in moscow for months growing a beard and sleeping in cemeteries uh his wife joined him and together they escaped russia they had a family car they painted a red cross on it his wife dug up an old nurse's uniform put her husband in a stray jacket and went to the border with her husband saying comrades as you can see from these papers i have been ordered to take the insane comrade kachinsky to the asylum in petrograd and that's how they got out of russia how many times did she use the word comrade and probably three times um they continued different ruses until they reached new york with their last 50 dollars they had through the name and not a single english word they did not know anything they got to new york but as the story goes he made it work he did grunt work for little money he saved it moved on to a better less grunt work saved money and by 1923 he was the proprietor of a fashionable and very unusual cafe called the russian eagle restaurant which was very popular in new york at the time a place that was particularly special for russian refugees there's a lot of russian restaurants that are eagle based is that right yeah i don't know why that's where we should look into that no, 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 I don't care. I said you should probably look into it. Uh, it was <laughs> popular amongst the Moscow art theater crowd in New York, where Theodore met director Dmitry Bukowski. Bukowski. It's really hard to say. I'm going to say it really fast to cover that. I don't want to say yeah, it. Ready? So no one will know. Bukowski, <laughs> who recognized him actually as a former commanding officer. He re- remembered him from Russia. Dmitry was working with Carl Lemley producing Russian romance picture for Universal. And you know, he thought to himself, I can use some technical advising. So in 1925, Theodore Lodi and his wife moved to Hollywood, California to work in the movies. He played a small role and advised for a movie called The Cossacks. It's said that the silent movie, a really classic one called The Last Command, is partly based on Theodore's life. That one was directed by another guy from Russia, Ernst Lubitsch, mm-hmm. who also remembered him from Russia. <laughs> After this, later in the story, 
great. It's the biggest country in the world. How are they all? Oh, I remember you. You were Russian number four. <laughs> After our story happens, but later, because we won't get back to Theodore that much, he opened up a cafe at the Hollywood Plaza Hotel. I believe it was also the Russian Eagle restaurant on Vine Street and apparently hosted notoriously wild parties until 1935 when he died. All of this to say one day Prince Michael Romanoff and Theodore Lodi crossed paths in a dinner party in Hollywood 1927 and Theodore Lodi smelled a rat. <laughs> he looked at Romanoff's pants and said deep in a deep <laughs> Russian accent wait a minute fire purifies all. <laughs> You're on fire. In Soviet Russia pants wear you. <laughs> apparently Lodi says you're not Russian. I know Russian. I know the Romanov family. I defended them. You're not Michael Romanov. And so he got film executives around him and was accusing him. And Michael Romanov's like, aren't you like a restaurant or something? And that was such a put down that everyone's like, oh, damn. Don't you like work for a living? <laughs> aren't you like a common man? So that happens. And Theodore continues collecting information about this guy, Romanov, this prince. And he's just waiting until something happens. And one day an assistant comes in to see Theodore Lowe and he's like uh this guy is using you as a reference prince michael romanoff and he's like that's it and he calls the alley examiner and he's like i have a story for you guys and he had a reporter and somebody tipped off romanoff so let's catch up with what is he getting out of this what is this guy getting out of calling him out on this russian pride that he made fun of him but also like this is a guy you put me down in front of cecil b DeMille. this is a guy who lived the life yeah he actually pride would... i mean it's stolen valor is what it is it probably yeah so the alley examiner wrote the story that prince michael romanoff was a fraud he was not russian royalty he was not a prince he did not need a cane he did not know the Sudan like the back of his hand. His name was Harry Gergeson, and he now had to flee Los Angeles before they could arrest him for writing bad checks Harry to hotels Gergeson. and writing bad checks to hotels and restaurants, which was his scheme. Was he CC Julian? Pretty much. Theodore Lordy would say to anyone that would listen that Gergeson had permanently embittered his life. He was telling people like, "I knew the real Prince Ro Michael Romanov." To add insult to injury, Theodore added, "This Romanov can't even speak Russian." Gergeson had been writing bad checks in San Diego, Tijuana, Reno, New York, and Los Angeles, and was finally caught in Salt Lake. City and locked up for a $386 bounce checked from Reno. And just like that, the charges were withdrawn and he's back on the run going east. And apparently that was the thing that people couldn't figure out. was like, he'd go to jail and then the charges would be withdrawn or he'd get bailed out and they never figured out who was bailing him out. <laughs> he hangs out in New York for a while after Salt Lake City and then runs, he boards the Olympic, which is a, a sea vessel, takes him to England and he had no ticket. But what he did have was a letter saying to whom it may concern and i have to paraphrase the rest but essentially if you find me as a stowaway just know it is in order to write about my adventures as a stowaway so please do not interfere with my project and he had a signature of a well-known writer on it totally worked sincerely william shakespeare yeah whoever wrote the bible oh this is legit oh did you see this note so his travels are hard to track because he's a con man on the run but at some point in the early 30s he is caught stowing away first class on a french cruise liner and is arrested then he escaped Vanished what, what a what a way you could get off life like no it's research for something i'm yeah. working on oh it's the third oh, no, sorry. here take more of our money <laughs> here's my cash in my pocket you're so brave he is arrested on a french cruise liner then escapes vanished into thin air the article had no idea what happened to him in the same article by the way it states that he stayed two days in a doghouse atop the liner and then three days in one of the better suites <laughs> after he's arrested they were going to deport him to manhattan to quote gather some of his personal effects the same article states that he once escaped from alice island by swimming over to jersey shore one december night after he escapes from the French cruise liner he is spotted in New York before once again returning to Los Angeles in 1931 to party he learned from the Jersey Shore who the hell is Henry Gergeson let's talk about him for a second he was born in Lithuania in 1890 as Herschel Gegesen he was the son of a dried goods merchant and his father died before he was born and after that little Herschel was sent to America from what I could tell 
alone. Uh, he spent time in different orphanages and boys' homes in New York and eventually became a farmhand in Illinois somehow. At some point, he's done being Herschel Gugason, <laughs> Gegason, and starts going by Harry Gergeson, a very Alice Island sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know when he switched over. In the 20s, Gergeson ends up in London and becomes famous among the authorities for passing bad checks. Mm-hmm. It's suggested very heavily by the cops that he does not return to London. He then goes to Paris where he manages to secure loans against millions of pounds of Russian royal jewels, insisting that they were about to be shipped over and he could pay everybody back. Classic. Classic move. He then came back to the U.S. and continued scamming his way across the country. After spending time in England, he takes on an English accent. Sort of like a half-and-half continental thing, I imagine, because people were like, it wasn't a very good accent. (laughs) A Lithuanian person doing an impression of Cary Grant. And then, like, after he returns and he has a British accent crossing America, scamming people, he gets a monocle and managed to convince people in the Midwest that he's a relative of the Duke of Wellington. I think this is when he starts taking on the most famous of his 16 aliases, which was Prince Michael Romanoff. I couldn't remember. One was like Roy Adams art dealer they trick people on trains and stuff everything is royal related exactly though. yeah Roy uh, I'm Roy royal. Disney <laughs> first name Roy middle name Al last name T and I like to drink tea which is what my family is known for <laughs> that's how I got involved in the teapot dome scandal <laughs> which we all know about and I didn't make up <laughs> which um, we all understand to be not about a rock or something it's stupid <laughs> so calling himself Prince Michael Romanoff I think was a pretty safe bet because after the Russian Revolution many of the actual Romanovs were exiled, so there were yeah. many destitute princes and princesses. There were a lot of people. And... Isn't there a show on Netflix? Or yeah, something about the Rom- Romanov, like the Romanov legacy, and like Romanov only with Anastasia. The... Okay, it's only Anastasia. That's the only one I recognize. <laughs> and Black Widow. Romanov with a V could and was changed to Romanov when immigrating to France. And apparently, there were a lot of Romanovs out there all over the world. So you could just say I'm a Romanov and get away with it. And that it only happened ten years I earlier. I am Romanov. I'm a Romanov. I am Romanov. I am Romanov. <laughs> Everyone's like, No, you're not. Like, no, you're not. No, I defended them in the war. Well, you're a restaurant. <laughs> what do you know? Yeah, he got me again. Ten years after the Russian Revolution, saying you're a Romanov, an exiled Romanov, and you're still pretty well-to-do, is pretty safe bet, he thought. He ends up back in Manhattan, living and lying lavishly, and in 1924, he's almost caught when he's attempting to crash a Rhode Island ball hosted by Reginald and Gloria Vanderbilt. Oh. He is thwarted because the Vanderbilt's actually spent time in Europe mingling with true royalty and they knew a faker yeah. when they were presented with one and Gloria knew well enough to quiz Harry Gergeson and he became flustered Which by this. Which side of the plate does the fork go on? Yeah. Uh, uh, how uh, many rooms were at your Winter Palace? In Soviet Russia fork uses what? <laughs> Damn, he's, he's got it. He's, he's, <laughs> that's, a, that's it. A weird Al Yankovic. Not Weird Al Yankovic. Yakov Smirnov. <laughs> weird Yakov Smirnov. <laughs> Even weirder Yakov Smirnov. So she chucked out Harry Gergeson who was calling himself Prince Michael Romanov. She's quoted as saying, the truth of the matter is that you are no more Prince Michael Romanoff than I am because he does not exist. So he left the party. Oh, the church bells are going right now. I have to go. <laughs> I simply must pray. <laughs> I have to get there. He pulled more scams, scamming as art dealers. He was scamming art dealers as well, getting arrested and released. Around this time, he was playing the part of Prince Michael Romanoff. He comes in contact with Daryl Zanuck and is taken to Hollywood as an advisor, quickly sent packing by Theodore Lodi and the Alexander. Now it's 1931. He's back, back in, in town. What should he do? Be honest and try to carve out a humble living? How will he begin to apologize for grifting everyone? How could a he... Lithuania would never do that. <laughs> How could he even look at people in the eyes after he got caught lying to people, saying that he was this prince? doesn't care so he just come back to town like nothing happened. so wait was he still like continuing still the ruse i'm still prince michael yeah. romanoff even though the alexander printed the thing and i've been caught dead to rights continues pretending he's russian royalty prince michael romanoff there's no way that that could be okay with everyone right well 
in a town where everyone's out making movies and you've been playing a pharaoh for a month and you kind of keep forgetting that you're not a pharaoh maybe it's the thing like maybe it's just normal people just were like it was not a big deal to people people were like fine whatever and there, it was like Prince Michael Ronoff just continued as his it was like an inside joke but like the inside was a very large part of the city full of rich and famous people he was having articles written about him and his wildlife as a con artist and he never dropped the act he never was like hi I'm Harry Gerson he was always Prince Michael Romanoff um, at the end of the day who cares who, like what who is he hurting exactly he wasn't himself and the character he was always prince michael ronoff and in the 1930s when so much of the world was coming to los angeles to make it big in the movies here was this guy who had already a built-in gimmick so his fame rose because of his infamy people like to have him over for polo games and hollywood parties like that's the guy who's pretending to be prince michael romanoff it was like having a guy dress as george washington hang around your birthday party he was coveted for his ability to lie Which on a whim a, he was really good at it my first five birthday parties were at george washington theme. guess who's here again yeah. and it's a knock Ye old birthday party here. Doth thou an honest little birthday boy? <laughs> I never tell a lie after all, and you're a good boy. <laughs> he started to appear in movies. You could see Prince Michael Romanoff in the movie Sing While You're Able To from 1937. He was very close friends with actor David Niven. He was a pallbearer at Errol, Fun Errol no. Flynn's funeral along with Mickey Rooney. What? He was a regular at the Clover Club Casino, which was a private club on the Sunset Strip. The Clover Club was partly owned by Guy McAfee, the former cop turned mobster who then went on to Vegas and formed the Vegas Strip and coined the term Las Vegas Strip. So the prince was a popular guy. So what do you do now? He was scrapping money together gambling at chess and backgammon, but that's not a job. He was honestly tired of scamming people, but he certainly couldn't do it in LA anymore. And he couldn't write bad checks anymore because he was having articles written about him in the Saturday Evening Post and Life Magazine. Entire spreads about him, nominating him the most wonderful liar of the 21st century US. How do you write a bad check after that? <laughs> you can't scam people anymore. I'll tell you what he did. Do you know this guy's lasting legacy? Dropping Errol Flynn during this funeral? That's one of them. He decided to open up a restaurant. He got his Hollywood friends to back him, many of them only giving about $50 a piece for the price of a share. But the list of names included Jack Warner, who once called him Fullness Balonis, Daryl Zanuck, who he scammed, Charlie Chaplin, Robert Benchley, John Way Whitney, James Cagney was one of these people. Did he ever get punched by Charlie Chaplin? I'm sure he was begging to. Too Please. much of an honor. I mean, like, what's the Charlie Chaplin movie where he's the con artist scammer pretending to be royalty? All, All of them. Of them? <laughs> the Great Dictator. That's it. So with this money he got like a little more than six thousand dollars together and then he put some loans together and he opened up romanoff's that sounds familiar it's like a big I, deal beverly hills old-time hollywood restaurant yeah we can do a whole episode of romanoff's if we wanted to i didn't want to he covered a place in portraits of himself just to get some art on the walls <laughs> the silverware came from a five and ten store he borrowed some liquor from friends he turned furniture of his apartment over for a refrigerator he like traded it he scrounged together 250 dollars for the opening nights just so he can have change this was not a scam not like everything i was reading like where's the scam come in uh, Where's the scam? But there wasn't a scam. This was like, this was an imposter doubling down and having the character he created go legit yeah. so he didn't go to legit the character he created yeah. went legit the crown jewel moment of opening night was when the first bank check from a customer came in in front of romanoff and he inspected it like a ticking briefcase and he was on the bomb squad <laughs> romanoff was on rodeo he drive bite the check it was on rodeo drive which i think was one of the first draws of a rodeo, rodeo drive rodeo, rodeo drive rodeo it was on rodeo drive which is crazy to me that like this guy who scammed all these people opened up one of the first draws to Beverly Hills. The Rodeo, Rodeo Which Drive. Which is a scam in itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was close enough to Hollywood to attract Hollywood after awards parties, but also like the regular Garden of Allah crowd mm -hmm. would just go there. The restaurant opened up in 1941 and through the years, it had about three locations. I think it had moved. I, th I, I read locations thinking that he opened up a chain, but I think it was like he moved several times, but always on Ro uh, Rodeo Drive. If I was that restaurant guy who called him out, I would be freaking out right, right now. <laughs> I would be like, 
you, what are you talking? Now you're me. Yeah, now you're, you're me. Pretending to be me now. Are giving you respect for being a restaurant here. The restaurant is now, like I said, part of old Hollywood lore. If you want to know if you know it, you probably do. Its most common reference point is the photo of Sophia Loren side eyeing Jane Manfield's huh. chest that was taken at Romanoff. Interesting. Prince Michael Romanoff now had a reason to be snooty to people. It, he showed preferential <laughs> treatment to all of his glitzy stars. I'm a restaurant owner now, which is respectable. Yeah, and I read in an article somewhere one night Jack Benny, patron saint of touching his face, <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck, and Robert Taylor. Quick, Mary Boy and Kill. Benny, Benny, Jack Benny, Benny Mary Benny, 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 Benny. <laughs> All in one night. I've seen Midnight Cowboy. I could do it. So those three went to Romanoff's as one party. And a waiter who had just moved from New York to come to Hollywood ran up to Romanoff. He told him, Jack Benny and Barbara Stanek and Robert Taylor, they're waiting for a table. And Romanoff's like, nah, the hell with them. Made him wait for a table. Romanoff would later appear on a couple episodes of hilarious. the Jack Benny show. What? Oh, really? Yeah. It must have been funny seeing Jack Benny wait for a table. I mean, Seinfeld premise with Jack Benny in with it? Jack Are you Benny? Me? Nobody puts down Jack Benny except everybody in Jack Benny's show because that's the premise of the show is to put them down. <laughs> he was on What's My Line he was on Jack Benny's show. Apparently there's a reference to Michael Romanoff in Miracle on 34th Street when the doctor compares Chris Kringle to a well-known restaurant owner whose name escapes him at the moment who insists that he's a member of the Russian royal family but is <laughs> otherwise quite normal. Th- huh. That's a reference to Prince Michael Romanoff. Romanoff was a pillar of the community giving money charitably to the Russian Relief and the Red Cross. Romanoff was known for enjoying the company of dogs at the table while he ate instead of people. There's even a photo <laughs> of him eating with like dogs and he's just like, oh, does Chauncey want a little there's also, uh, steak? <laughs> there's also a picture of him playing poker with a table full of dogs. They were really good. He trained them. The restaurant Romanoff's was known for its chocolate souffles. That was the thing it was most popular oh, for. Don't talk to me about chocolate souffles right now. I don't know how to cook that, so I can't I have can't. it. I'll, I'll never have it again. <laughs> the restaurant was a favorite of Alfred Hitchcock's. Mm. They catered what the wasn't? rap. wasn't? My thought exactly. It's saying that, oh, that was the favorite food of uh, Orson Welles. Doesn't mean much. If it didn't kill him, it was a favorite food. So the rap party of Spellbound was at Romanov's. After the 20th Academy Awards in March of 1948, the after party was at Romanov's. Hitchcock's after party was there. Okay, so let's just wrap up where this goes. As we all know, several times talking about food and the changes of culture, Hollywood dining crowd and the American culture changes in post-war America. And if you don't, you aren't a car hop at a burger place with your best gal <laughs> singing a Beach Boy song, then no one's going to eat there. The restaurant closes in 1962 and Romanoff dies in 1971 at the age of 81 or was he 76 nobody really knew <laughs> he was quoted as saying no one has ever discovered the truth about me not even myself that's particularly haunting thought because how much of his persona that he created was for grifting and how much was used as a coping mechanism like he arrived in this country as a poor orphan raised in orphanages maybe Prince Michael Romanoff was a necessary psychological front like a personality he created to survive how else could this orphan farmhand go on adventures on a cruise ships work on a movie deny Jack Benny a seat open a popular restaurant like Theodore Lodi, like he was like the grim, honest side of all the lies that Romanoff was saying. He actually served in the war. He knew the Romanoffs. Yeah, and he got nothing. He got nothing. He opened up a restaurant too, and he like no one remembers that restaurant the same way. Yeah. What is his name? Romanoff? Madman. Dick Whitley. Dick Harrington. You remember his real name, but you can't remember that his name is Don Draper? Is his name Dick Whitley? It's not Dick Whitley. It's Dick, Whit- Dick Whitley. There's no way it's Dick Whitley. His or Dick Whitman. Dick-, Dick Whitman. You always say Whitley because you're stupid. I feel like that's the situation. Only both the guys are still alive. Yeah, they, they both survived. Their stories and their story beats are so parallel, but look what happens. I think it really like maybe this town just loves a phony with a gimmick, or maybe this town is about remaking yourself, and there seems to be a support system made in LA just for remaking yourself. It might 
might be a city of phonies, but it might be people trying to realize the best versions of themselves. That is because so many of the people that I've covered, they created this whole personality and they came to Los Angeles yeah. with this new personality. And that's like the essence of a con, but yeah. like that's what so everyone comes everybody does. Yes. <laughs> come to Los Angeles yeah. and I'm going to be this now. I'm not the sad kid from Idaho anymore. I'm going to be a star. Yeah, I don't have ADHD. Yeah, I'm going to wear a cool jacket. It cured my ADHD. Isn't that that wears a cool jacket. Well, let's get into our last one. We're going back to we're going back to the 80s. Oh, it's about time. God. I wish I knew the theme for uh, 90210. Rich. So this one's for all the boys, the billionaire boys, the billionaire boys club to be exact. This one goes out to all the fellas. <laughs> it's fellas night tonight. It begins at the murder club. It begins with a bouncing little boy. Do you know much about this? I know that it ends poorly. Yeah, it ends poorly. It inspired bad boys to act. So you do know what I'm getting to. Hmm, interesting. Pretend to be shocked when I tell you this later. It begins. What? <laughs> It begins. I wish I had something to spit take. I have an old water jug and some gas back here. I can spit, spit takes are coronavirus free. They prove that. The Comedy Institute. They say if you if you spit okay. take fast enough, it'll kill the speed will kill the germs with the heat. And it'll kill you with laughter. So it begins with a bouncing little boy born October 30th, 1960 in Chicago named Joseph Henry Gamsky, who was about to bounce himself straight into trouble. <laughs> As a kid, his dad moved the family to the con-proof San Fernando Valley, where he ran a series of businesses that all failed. His okay. dad all every single one but little joey was a good student and even though he wasn't from a particularly wealthy family he won a scholarship to go to harvard westlake in okay. studio city which at the time was called harvard school for boys in movie studio city <laughs> and future mr big shot was mr quiet and unpopular at school but he was good at talking so he got into debate but had a reputation of being a sore loser okay. whenever he would lose a debate then in 1975 his two natural talents combined when he got thrown out of the usc summer debate institute for making up fake evidence which is something he became quite fond of <laughs> still he managed to get into usc somehow but dropped out after three semesters but then he decided to move back to chicago to work on the chicago mercantile exchange but was suspended from there for unsound trading practices which means he was running an investment group again without a license to do so. Perfect. So then for whatever reason, in 1981, he decided it was a new decade, so it was time for a new him. From now on, he wasn't Joseph Henry Gamsky. Now he was Joe Hunt. Whoa. Financial whiz and all-around 80s dude. <laughs> Popped collar, convertible Ferrari. Yeah. Where Joseph Gamsky was shy and unpopular, Joe Hunt was charming and likable, much like another Joe alter ego I know of, Joe Cool. <laughs> It's all sunglasses and turtlenecks. Yep. You're not Charlie Brown's friend anymore. You're a cool guy. I don't eat out of the bowl. (laughs) I eat out of a hand. He was ready to reinvent himself. And to complete that transformation, he was moving back to Los Angeles and starting a new investment group, BBC Consolidated of North America. BBC standing for the Bombay Bicycle Club, which was the name of a restaurant in Chicago he liked. Why? I have no idea. That's pretty stupid. That's Um, pretty lame. That's such a douchebag move. Again, leave the restaurateurs out of this. They've got enough. They have enough troubles right now. The concept of this company was actually, it was kind of interesting. It was an investment group that dealt in stocks and things like that, Mm -hmm. but it was also part social club slash fraternity. So all the people who were a part of it would not only work together, but it would also live and hang 
hang out together. So it was kind of like a socialist sort of thing. Okay. They would share profits and they would share ideas. It, like I said, it was kind of socialist in theory, but it was based on the most superficial greed that the 80s was capable of. For members of this group, he recruited former classmates of his from Harvard or Westlake who all came from rich families like Dean Carney, whose dad was a developer in Beverly Hills, and Tom and Dave May of the May Department Store Whoa. family. So they were part of this club. And all there are around 30 members, all them boys, yeah. men, who were all boys, 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 <laughs> men, no women. <laughs> they were all motivated by the same desire to become more successful than their dads. Okay. That's what all of them wanted. The lifestyles of these boys, it was all condos, cars, and Armani suits. Oh In other God. words, the slogan of the 80s. <laughs> they had an expensive office on Third Street in West Hollywood. They ate at expensive restaurants like Spago with supermodels. They would drive around in brand new Jeeps and BMWs. They'd be at the Hard Rock Cafe. Oh uh, my God. They, they got privileges to hang out on the set of Miami Vice whenever they wanted. They got and unlimited carne asada fries whenever <laughs> they'd go to TGI Friday. They'd all live together in a big condo at 10660 Wilshire in uh, Westwood. It's one of those big buildings right by you know, along Wilshire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Why Westwood? Westwood? You know, like what I just said. <laughs> yeah, the ones that are at 10660. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, in Westwood? In, on Wilshire? They jokingly referred to BBC to stand for the Brass Balls Club because they were so unbelievably alpha, but the nickname that ended up sticking was the Billionaire Boys Club. That's descriptive for sure. Yeah, and cool guy Joe Hunt was the cult-like leader of it all, but where was all of this money coming from? Yeah. Let's get into the con part of this. They were all from rich families, but they were still an investment group that had to be earning money. So Hunt's guy principle for the BBC was what he called the paradox philosophy, which believed that good and evil were interchangeable realities depending on what the circumstances were. Wow. Yeah. That's already bad enough. Yeah. Good and evil is what I decided is. Depending on how expensive good is, I don't know. <laughs> you won't give me my way? That's evil. <laughs> Evil's up, good is down. Welcome to the 80s. <laughs> Greed is everything. That's the quote, right? Yeah, that's it. We've clearly seen, was it Wall Avenue? It's, it's not on Hoopla, so I can't see it. Yeah, it's not on Hoopla. Shut up. <laughs> I only have 15 credits a month. Uh, with all my family, sure, I have like 45 credits a month. He divided the world into the rich boys and the normies. And those are normal Anybody people. who didn't have a billion dollars? Pretty much. At yeah. the beginning, Hunt got Carney's parents to give them $150,000 to invest in stocks. He lost all of it. Oh my Somehow, he convinced them again to give him $25,000 more. He lost all of it. So now he had to go to non-related investors to get their money. Probably a good bet. To convince them to do this, he told his investors that he had graduated from the USC business school in two years, which he didn't, yep. because he had invented a secret foolproof way of investing that was guaranteed to make a ton of money, which he didn't. <laughs> and if they gave him their money, he could do that for them, which he wouldn't. <laughs> his focus was on luxury cars and new technology companies like Microgenesis. West cars and financial futures, all promising companies that were not real. <laughs> None of these were real companies. What was really going on was yet another Ponzi scheme where he would take in money from new investors and use that to pay off the old investors and skim a lot off for the billionaire boys. Yeah. I was going to call them the bouncy boys. Yeah, <laughs> um, you should be calling them. As you could tell from their business at the Hard Rock Cafe, things were going great. They yeah. could afford, oh my God, give me another Gouda cheese milk. <laughs> yeah, I won't rent dressing with that. Can I please sit under Chuck Berry's guitar? No. 
please, 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 please. For about a year, things were going good. In 1984, things went south. Their scam was falling apart and they were a million dollars in debt and investors started getting suspicious. This meant they weren't getting any new marks to fuel the con because people were seeing the other people aren't making any money on their investments. Yeah. Why do I want to invest in that? Why would I that? ever do that? Yeah. Hunt, well, because I'm an idiot like everyone else in Los Angeles, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Hunt's solution to this problem was in a 42-year-old man named Ron Levin. He had met the year before. Levin ran the independent news network, which was basically the company from Nightcrawler. <laughs> that he employed those sort of people. Yeah. And he was also rich, according to Hunt. So Hunt managed to convince him to set up an investing account with $5 million in it. And Hunt guaranteed he could grow that and then they would split the profits. Levin said, all right, let's do this. Hunt being the convincing con man, he got him to agree. Before long, he actually managed to legitimately invest that $5 million. He turned it into $13 million legitimately. Right. He, he did it. But when Hunt went to cash out that account to fix all of his money problems, there was another problem. None of the money in that account was real. Levin had told the firm who owned the account to put $5 million in fake money yeah. into the account for a documentary he was doing on stock investing. Whoa. So all of the trading that Hunt had done was real and legitimate, but he was playing with Monopoly money. Oh my God. And as it turned out, the con had been conned. Levin was a seasoned con man. Wow. He had recently gotten out of jail for mail fraud and was about to be on trial again for stealing a million dollars worth of broadcasting equipment that he borrowed from major companies and never gave back wow. which is what his nightcrawler company was founded oh my on God. one time he had even dressed up as a doctor walked into the ucla medical center and dissected a corpse just because he loved to con people it was just for the thrill of the con oh my god yeah he That's just liked doing it upsetting it is upsetting and weird that he got away with it like even weirder that he brought the corpse back to life could you believe it you know it'd be a great con if i had sex with the corpse right now huh nobody would see that coming huh Wouldn't say he, huh when joe hunt found out about this he got desperate and something needed to be done. This gets to the part you know about. That's when things took a serious turn. Hunt needed to confront Levin about this because he needed that money. So he grabbed his personal bodyguard of the group, Jim Pittman, and the two went on a secret mission that they didn't tell the others about. They were going to Ron Levin's house. This was June 6, 1984 at 144 South Peck Drive in Beverly Hills. Somehow they got inside and then physically assaulted Levin and made him sign a check for $1.5 million. But this wasn't enough for Hunt. He had conned the con man. So for that, they tied Levin up face down on his bed, put a silence gun against the back of his head and killed him. Wow. They then took him up to Soledad Canyon in Santa Clarita, blew off his face with a shotgun so he wouldn't be identified and threw him into the wilderness. Wow, that escalated real quick. Yeah. I'm a guy who's never murdered anyone. Was supposed to, as far as I know, has never murdered anyone before. Let's his double trip. kill him. Shot a face off. Well, he was already dead. Is a face a face? I mean, it's just meat and bones at that point, right? <laughs> as Hunt later bragged to the other boys, his brain jumped out of his skull and fell on his chest pretty cool for pretty, the 80s 80s greed is good yeah. cool that is pretty cool i saw terminator i think i know what to do but the final con was on levin because when they went to deposit that check it bounced and it turned out levin only had 40 dollars in his oh bank account God. to get back at him Pittman then took levin's credit card from this dead man and went to new york city on a trip that levin had been about to take and he just pretended to be levin right and he racked up two thousand dollars worth of bills at the plaza hotel in three days and when he tried to check out the card obviously didn't work work and he got surrounded by security at which point he went into a karate stance to fight them all off that's adorable and he got thrown through a revolving door <laughs> 
they were watching better martial arts movies yeah. than I was. <laughs> he was watching Karate Kid. They were watching, watching Bruce Lee. Yeah, they were watching Enter the Dragon. <laughs> he was arrested, but Levin wasn't a missing person yet, so Hunt was able to bail him out. Two weeks later, Hunt took Carney to the West Side Pavilion and told him about what he had done. He let him in on what the murder, and yeah. he, and they decided that the two of them they're going to tell nine of the most trusted members of the club. But Why? I don't know because this was just their thing. That's what friends do in the eighties. Friends tell friends about murders. Yeah, they That's probably had like a, a a day each week where they talked about their feelings and it's like you gotta tell this is on your chest bro. what did you do in the past couple of weeks <laughs> rather than freak them all out like what should have happened they all decided let's try that plan again with somebody else oh my god this time they were going to get the money from one of their members own dad the member's name was he was Reza Eslamenia so his dad had been a religious advisor to the Shah of Iran but was now living in Belmont California okay. in exile Reza hated his dad but he was under the impression that his dad had snuck 30 million dollars out of Iran and now had it in the bank. Right. So he suggested they drive up to Northern California, kidnap my dad, bring him back to LA and torture my dad until he gives us the money. Wow. That was his plan. This being the billionaire boys club, they all thought this is a great idea. Yeah. So- Did you say money? Yeah, I also said torture. Yeah, but... Money? Did you say, yeah. What country is that money from? <laughs> I um, decided this was good and not doing it was evil. <laughs> they rented a house in Beverly Glen. According to the real estate person, they were only interested in touring the basement. So this was oh going to be the torture chamber. So then they go up north on July 30th, 1984. They posed as delivery people delivering a steamer trunk to raise his dad's house. When he opened the door, they chloroformed him, stuffed him in the steamer trunk, and then stuffed that trunk into the car's trunk and wow. drove back down to Los Angeles. But when they got there, they found that his dad had suffocated to death inside of the trunk in yeah. the trunk when you're in two boxes they dumped his body also in soledad canyon and once again the dead man had the last laugh because it turned out his dad only had two hundred thousand dollars in the bank which isn't bad but not if you're looking for 30 million dollars yeah, for sure <laughs> that was supposed to be my own personal cut yeah <laughs> now i gotta split that so now two deaths on their hands and nothing to show for it some of the members started panicking and of all people the may company brothers tom and dave went to the officials and blew the whistle. Good man. Once that came out, Levin's stepdad, who had gone looking around his apartment, once it became clear Levin's missing, he went to the police with a piece of evidence he had found, you know, a while ago, but thought nothing of it. It was a piece of yellow legal paper titled At Levin's To Do. It was a 15 item to do list oh. of how to murder Levin. It said on it, close blinds, scan for tape recorder, tape mouth, handcuff put gloves on, explain situation, kill dog. This He left <sighs> He left this at the scene of the crime. This was Hunt's Harvard Westlake trained list of things to <laughs> do. He had such good training. Always be organized. Yeah. That's the key to success. The top members of the group were promptly arrested. Hunt and Pittman were charged with the murder of Ron Levin. Hunt, Pittman, Reza, and a guy named Arben Dosti were charged with the murder of Reza's dad, whose bones they dug up in Soledad Canyon after coyotes ate the rest of him. Hunt's best friend, Dean Carney, was not charged because he became a rat. Oh, wow. In exchange for immunity and went into witness protection. Pittman got off because of hung juries, but later pleaded guilty and got three and a half years. Dosti and Reza got life without parole, which was later overturned. But Hunt's trials were interesting. First off, with the Levin murder, it was hard because no body, blood, or evidence was ever found other than this to-do list, yeah. which Hunt claims he left in Levin's apartment to scare him. He claims he has no idea what happened to Levin, but suggests that he was never 
never killed. He just skipped town. He's a con artist. This is what he does. He said that Levin had been talking to a lawyer not long before he went missing about whether or not U.S. citizens could be extradited from Brazil. And a few people even claim to have seen Levin after he had been supposedly murdered. That October, someone said they saw him at a gas station in Tucson. One lady said she saw him on the island of Mykonos in Greece on Christmas Day, 1987. Other people said they saw him driving around Brentwood in a Mercedes. One guy said he saw him in line to see Crocodile Dundee in Westwood. That's how I know it was him. I knew it was him. He had to see movies about those stupid Australians. (laughs) He had to. The thing was that all these people who said they saw him all had some sort of connection to Hunt. Wow. So there's a lot of suspicion about whether he put him on. He came off as- Did they never find his body? Levens? No. Wow. They've never found a body of his. Crazy. Okay. Hunt came off as brash in court and everything you'd expect him to be. And the jury didn't like him and neither did his own lawyer. And he got sentenced to life in prison with no parole in 1987. But he also had to be on trial for Reza's dad. Yeah. Where a murder definitely happened. There was a body for that. And this time Hunt decided to be his own attorney. Yes. He became the only person in California history to represent himself in a capital case and not get the death penalty. (laughs) He defended himself successfully wow that is a uh, shocking yeah i was the not ready for that con man Pittman died of kidney failure in 1997 carney became a lawyer and then was linked to another murder years later but he's in witness protection so i don't know how we know that yeah hunt became very religious in prison and started doing yoga and organizing prisoner support groups which was all part of his case to be given parole repeatedly over the years most recently in 2018 but even he knows it's hard to believe his case that he never killed levin when he spent the rest of his life lying to people there was one lasting life of this whole ordeal and no it's not the movie they made a few years back starring also criminal kevin spacey <laughs> it was a tv miniseries they made in 1987 people were so eager to turn this into something there were writers and producers and casting agents in the courtroom while this was happening wow trying to get a jump on this i'm sure the series isn't great but two brothers certainly did find it quite great Inspiring. in particular the part where they killed their own dad Eric and Lyle Menendez liked it so much that they decided to reenact it just two years later. We're going to do a remake, but with our dad in the role. (laughs) Our dad, who's definitely rich. (laughs) That's the... uh, Wow. That was much more seedy than I thought it was. I, when I first heard about it, I was like, ah, stupid kids at Harvard Westlake. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. What <laughs> Shot a guy's face off pretty quick. <laughs> so those are the cons of Los Angeles. Pretty good ones them. out there. Yeah. And it is, yeah, the, the common theme is reinventing yourself, changing your name and reinventing yourself. That's all they've been doing. That's all anyone does. So what's, I mean, good and evil. I mean, what's the big deal? <laughs> so, the what, big de- yeah. so what, I whacked a few people just to get a cut of that imported provolone. <laughs> <laughs> need some quality sausage on my side. You know, there's no lessons here. No, there isn't. There isn't. Everyone's trying to do something. Just don't be bad about it. Yeah. That's my lesson to you. You know, here's one lesson you can learn from all this. How to leave us a review on iTunes. Do it under a fake name. Do it. Who's who's the guy you've been lying about to all your partners? What's the harm in conning iTunes? Yeah. (laughs) If you have an iPhone, uh, just open up your apple podcast app and leave us some reviews it helps us get more noticed yeah. and it gives us more legitimacy and we just like it when you do it it's just super so nice of you we appreciate good. it it's so fr- i don't so even have to nice. go to times square to get a feeling this good <laughs> when you leave me a review leave a review tell me what your favorite fantastic four storyline is and i'll tell read it. it tell me who your favorite soprano is the kids oh his son and daughter god what quality characters they are you can also leave us a review on anything follow yeah. us on twitter at la meekly instagram la underscore meekly i've been cutting up all of our old segments yeah. and putting them as their own videos videos on YouTube, which people are 
Ignore. Bots are seemingly liking. Oh, yeah. People are ignoring bots are liking. Yeah. Bot, biggest fan is Mother hated bot approved. Well, yeah. Patreon people are actually bots. <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. They, they still send Bitcoin over. And th- that's not traceable at all. The <laughs> ultimate con. Yeah, you can support us on Patreon. This is a tough time for everybody. But if you do have the money, it also is tough for us. You could help us out. Um, for as little as $5 a month, we will send you postcards. Some of us will, some yeah, of you will I get still, postcards. I still Others have will get some letters. letters. Yeah, Greg is figuring something out. But I'm out of postcards. Yeah, you can support us there for less than $5. We'll, You'll, you won't get anything, but it helps us out, and we'll say your name for everybody at the top of the episode. And also, congratulations to Andy Lomelli for winning the book oh, contest oh yeah. that we did. Way to go, Andy. Way to go, Andy. Oh, you, person you who did reads it. books. Any final thoughts here? Uh, this has made me want to read way more about crime, and that's maybe what I'll do for the rest of the... This made me want to commit crime You're for the crazy. rest of the You're a billionaire boy club. You're a billionaire's <laughs> boy club. You but are. If it happens during quarantine, it didn't really happen. Last night, I said out loud, nothing's illegal right now, <laughs> except hanging out. But yeah, we'll see what how the situation is when we check back in with all of you next month. But yeah. conti- until then, continue. Stay away from everybody. Let's um, push for rent freeze. I think we could do it. I, don't, loud un- I do not understand why that hasn't happened yeah, it drives me insane that that hasn't happened yet. But hey, what do we know? Yeah, Again, what, yeah exactly. What do we, <laughs> we're yeah. just average people in this city. What do we know? Yeah. Other than that, stay safe. Yeah, S- please don't do anything too wacky pants, yeah. but keep yourself entertained. Hoopla. Be safe. Uh, listen to us over and over and over. Just keep making dummy accounts and give us Patreon subscriptions. Yeah. And YouTube, YouTube and all mm-hmm. that. How's it, how's it? We'll <laughs> never rat you out. I certainly won't. Yeah. Not if we're I'm not like the money. May Brothers, the May Company Brothers. Yeah. We'll never rat you <laughs> out. We're more like the Menendez Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning we, we want to kill our parents and wear Rolex right away not even <laughs> as like soon as possible. I will break the quarantine just for that so yeah enjoy the rest what is it I-, I haven't looked at a calendar in like four weeks so I it's May now right yeah it's May so enjoy it- May enjoy May we'll talk to you in June yeah in part six of the lost year of 2020 <laughs> To everybody graduating, happy Congrats. congratulations. Happy congratulations to all you graduates. Throw your thing in the sky or yeah, whatever. whatever you're going to do. Good job. I'm sorry you can't have a ceremony, but yeah. if you want, you know, we can clap for you out of our yep. window at 8 p.m. I do that every night. Uh, Make whale sounds. <laughs> this one's for all the dugongs that are reclaiming <laughs> the ocean. So yeah, enjoy that. We'll see you again. Stay safe. That's been yet another episode of Ellie Meekly. Keeping your bowels open since 2013. We started with an intro that was scatological in nature, yeah. and we end with it. Poop was on the brain. Poop was, poop was on the brain. <laughs> <laughs>